I'm Dr. Michael Lynch, co-host of ConspiracyAgents.com, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show. Podcast. Providing you with complete, detailed, and always educational perspectives when it comes to television, feature films, DVDs, Blu-rays, and the hottest in online entertainment. This week, it's Two Guys Talking, Return of the Jedi, directed by Richard Marquand. In 1980, we learned the power of the Empire when it struck back against the rebel forces for two hours and seven minutes. That power was accompanied by one of the, if not the greatest pace movies of all time. But also a question. That question? When would the franchise return? When would it come back to the silver screen to deliver the next chapter of the story that we were already salivating for? Well, it took three more years to happen, but return it did. The toasty days of May 1983 provided us with the return of the Jedi. Once again, the characters, the story, the connective tissue, and the Force flowed. It's another piece of fandom in the making for nearly 40 years, but behold, it's time for the two guys talking Star Wars perspective review of 1983's Return of the Jedi, directed by Richard Marquand. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris DiGiuseppe, your other host. And I'm Pat Doring, definitely not at Ewok. <laughs> it's great to have uh, Pat and Chris inside of this review. And guys, what a ton of fun this has been so far. It's been awesome. Re- reviewing the super-duper classic Star Wars uh, per- right. perspective yeah. reviews. A quick little bit of housekeeping. The previous perspective reviews. Remember, those of you that have accidentally found your way to our Return of the Jedi perspective review, you can also listen to all of our other reviews over at TwoGuysTalkingStarWars.com. There you'll find everything from the original Rogue One all the way through to the rest. Asterisk. Whatever you're going to find there. Be sure to listen to them all, but more importantly, be sure to chime in and tell us what you think about all of the classic Star Wars entertainment. TwoGuysTalkingStarWars.com The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Guys, are you watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming? I've not caught um, up. Yeah, I'm a little behind on it. A little yeah. behind a couple yeah. of episodes, a season? I how, haven't how started this season yet. I'm definitely a fan. Okay, okay, great. Well, I am a fan also. In fact, I'm one of the hosts of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, which is dedicated mm-hmm. to a review of each and every episode, where we don't nearly have the opportunity to wait as long as you guys have to mm-hmm. catch up on episodes. But I have to tell you, and Chris and Pat can speak directly to this, the quality of writing and character development inside of that program equals just about anything we're going to talk about today. It's just outstanding. It's great stuff. More importantly, it spills directly into the cinematic universe that Marvel has created. Right. Right. And that's the fun. It is creating absolute connective tissue between the smaller HD screen and what you see inside the silver screen during the feature films. The value of that is... It's just difficult. It just it must be extremely difficult to write that. Yeah. Going from a movie to a series of movies, bounce over to a TV series, and then bounce back to a movie. It, they they pull it off though. Brilliant. They, they do, and uh, I think what really strikes me is how long they've been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because just grabbing lightning in a bottle to grab great writing and then showcase it for let's say even a series of five episodes of anything on television right. is super super rare. Right. right. And so when a program is able to pull that off for not only one season, not only three seasons, but now into its fourth straight season of quality, it really is something. I encourage all of you to not only watch Agents of Shield on ABC and Hulu streaming, but also to listen. 
listen to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, you can find every single episode of that over at agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. Chime in on anything that we've got there and tell us what you think of what's cooking inside of ABC and Hulu streaming for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from Marvel. All right, gents, we've all donned black. We've grabbed our green lightsabers, and we're ready mm-hmm. to provide the perspective review of 1983's Return of the Jedi, directed by Richard Marquand. The hype. The hype for this was huge, and I think, Chris, I think if I remember the whole editing process of doing the last podcasts, you were the one that really showcased how excited you were that there was another film coming, but more importantly, how it couldn't possibly get there fast enough. Well, absolutely, and I knew that I was going to have to wait three years. It it was three years between the first and the second one. I knew Mm -hmm. that I was going to have to wait three years for the last one, but the thing that I have to have is closure, and if you remember, The Empire Strikes Back, and we're going to talk about, eventually, what each one of these movies did and their role that they played, Mm -hmm. but... This movie in particular was the movie with the closure. Yeah. And eventually we'll talk about how difficult this movie must have been to write. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, I just could not wait until those answers. Because if you recall, The Empire Strikes Back was a great movie. I mean, the pace was just amazing. But it left you hanging. Big time. And, yeah. and yeah. Definitely and, left you hanging. And when I was younger, I was, you know, I was like... Wait a minute, I've got all these yeah. questions. I'll, I'll challenge you on that, too. Can you think of another film that left you with as much anticipation no. as Empire Strikes Back? No, no. I, I can't think of one. I can't think of one modern day. I can't, th- I, you know, I'm trying to think of all the giant franchises that have gone through that I was yeah, nothing, really singularly impressed close by. To it. The only thing I might compare it to is maybe the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but the original one. Mm-hmm. And that's only because it was so epic to see it, not because right. I had some bold, satisfying interest in it. But you had a book that could have told you what occurred in right. you know, The Return of the King. With this, it was, wait a minute, I waited three years for the sequel yeah. to come out, and the sequel was awesome. But, you know, I mean, at the end, what happens to Han Solo? Right. He's in yeah. carbonite. He's yeah. what? And as a younger person, I was saying... Well, geez, I hope they make another movie. Well, not only that, now you know, realize that. Wait a minute, that guy's his father. What? What the heck? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Where's this gonna go now? Yeah. You know, you realize. Wait a minute, the, the bad guy's actually his father. So now we gotta sit around and wait to figure out where's this going. And from that's there? where, when this the announcement of this movie came out, it was like, finally, mm-hmm. finally, we're gonna get some closure to this. Yeah. And as we delve into this. We see, well, let's delve into it. How do we start it out? Well, yeah, the the hype is what I was referring to specifically. 1983 was a very interesting year for me. I moved three times in a year. Mm -hmm. And so very strange. I I don't remember where I saw this, but I want to think that this was somewhere in Tennessee. Okay. And it would have been at whatever theater was there. I would, I, if you took me to the same place today, I wouldn't know where I was, Mm -hmm. but I think it was probably somewhere in Tennessee. And when we finished it, I remember that. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was done and being terribly satisfied with what, with what you saw mm-hmm. because, again, of the closure factor. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember, like, watching the movie. I don't remember anything about the people or the theater that I went to. I just know that I saw it. I don't remember any of that either. I, I, I was maybe 15 years old. I think I was maybe a second year in high school. I don't recall where I saw it. It was probably in a mall. You know, at a mall theater, mm-hmm. as usual. And, yeah. yeah, I don't recall the exact place and such. I just recall the lead-up that, finally, I'm going to get some answers. Yeah, and I think that's what... You know, that, that sense of anticipation that you get from any movie that you go and see now, 
mm-hmm. where you can have that lead up the general hype, mm-hmm. but then also the payoff if there is a sequel inside of another chapter of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we we definitely don't have the same chemistry set that we had back in 1983. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. the internet right. almost right. completely destroys Absolutely. everything. Yeah, they could they could do a lot of things. They could keep a lot of things away from the viewer, away from the fan. Mm-hmm. They could conceal a lot of things a lot easier than they can today. And yeah. information didn't move as fast. Yeah. Right? No, that's that's totally true. And I think the other tiny nod to that before we move on is that I remember vividly when compatriots of mine got out of the screener that I was invited to, they instantly had things to say about what they had seen. Obviously, it had to be incredibly cloaked and demure mm-hmm. as opposed to being super bold and mm-hmm. explaining everything that they saw because they can't obviously right, right. But, but that is something that is a, it's a complete departure sure um, previously what would have to happen a magazine would have to be published or you know at best you could get on television or the radio to then right. tell people what you saw well right. there is no waiting period anymore for anything no. that is information transfer no. so you see it go to facebook or twitter and it's there yeah well, and, and um, Strangely enough, it would be where you're filing out of the film and you whip out your phone. And as you're walking down that very askew ramp in almost every theater now, right? someone would be punching in what they thought of the film just to be first inside right. of the, the cone of review. Right. And so th- that's what I wanted to focus on inside the hype segment inside of this review because it was a completely different alien environment back then. Right. It was not the same. By any stretch, no. uh, and in particular, the the whole being able to deliver instantly, there was no mechanism like no, that. No, there was controlled. Nothing. There was a controlled uh, release of information, a controlled, uh, you know, more controlled marketing yeah. scheme and plan. Mm-hmm. To where these days, they, I mean, filmmakers had to completely redo that and revamp that. Yeah. it's the same with the profession that Pat and I are in mm-hmm. because information moves so fast. We've seen it over the 25, right. five, six, seven years that we've been in law enforcement. You know, you have to adjust, you have to adapt because of technology and the speed at which things are released. Yeah, and, and th- that really is an incredible hurdle that I don't think, I, I, I know if I only just appreciate it, I know the normal human being mm-hmm. walking down the street doesn't appreciate it. Sure. It, especially in regard to law enforcement. It can't be more critical than to make sure whatever message does get out is an appropriate message. Right. And, and accurate. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, that's great. That's where we ask you guys, what do you guys remember about hype? Whether it was only the the posters that you saw or maybe a trailer and another movie that mm-hmm. you'd have seen six months before the film came out. What do you remember about uh, hype in regard to Return of the Jedi? Let us know what you think by going over to our Facebook presence. You can get there by going to twoguystalkingstarwars.com. Click anywhere where you see the Facebook link button and chime in on one of the threads there or start your own. The money! Ah, my favorite money shot of all perspective reviews. It's where we dig into the money that this movie... Uh, that in this case, this movie, Return of the Jedi, 1983, made from then until now. There are two parts of the question that I ask my co-hosts all the time. They'll always get the answer right because you guys are great at answers. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. <laughs> the, the first number is the domestic lifetime gross for this film, Return of the Jedi. Chris, you went first last time. Pat, we're going to go with you first. I'll go three seventy-five. Three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars from Pat. Okay, right. and no. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Chris, did you want to change that? Yeah, it's three hundred seventy-five million dollars. Oh, the, okay, for gotcha. the domestic take. Yeah. yeah, for the domestic lifetime gross, right? Domestic lifetime gross. Yep. 
I'm going to go 750 million. 750 million. Okay. Chris is just a little bit over, obviously showcasing your role in administration inside of a law enforcement agency rather than actually implementing. Well, Pat such has things. a lot of money. I mean, he's just, <laughs> you know, right. he's extremely wealthy. And so I just don't think about money as much as other people. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. What we're looking at is 309, 309 million, $309.5 million, essentially. Okay. And, uh, you know, like anything else that we talk about inside of almost all the perspective views, it's a corn combine of cash. It doesn't get any more gargantuan than you got to be kidding was, me. If they would have gone with my number, they'd have been a lot happier. <laughs> if only we could just use the larger numbers all the time. That right. would be awesome. Yeah, for for having a production budget of only thirty two point five million, mm-hmm. when uh, you have something that uh, collects over the years three hundred and. Almost three hundred and ten million dollars. That's amazing. But now they right. figure out how much all the enhancements cost. That's what I'd like to know. Right, right. Well, the uh, second number Digital that we always upgrades. Yeah, the second number that we always look for is the foreign intake gross since nineteen eighty three. Chris, we'll go with you first this time. Uh, foreign intake gross. I'm going to go with uh, four hundred ten million. Four hundred ten million for the chief and Mr. Crisis Negotiator. I'll say three hundred fifty million. Three hundred fifty million. Okay, both of you are Pat's. More than double over. And so Chris is, again, having his hallucinogenic cupcakes back at his desk (laughs) inside of HQ. So... So, so the foreign. So, in other words, it didn't do that well overseas. It did not. Well, (laughs) comparatively, it actually did about half. So it's one hundred and sixty-five million eight hundred thousand dollars. That's what it's collected over, Hmm. you know, a a good long time. Yeah. But that is strange. What isn't strange, however, is the four hundred and seventy-five million dollars that it's made collectively. And so again, giant corn combine of cash that, believe it or not, will still continue to gather funds. Like a crazy man. Was that less than Empire Strikes Back? It was less than the Empire Strikes Back. Hmm. That doesn't surprise me at all, though. Again, hmm. when you compare the overall value of the films, I, I can totally see that. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, was we talked about this in our prelude to the recording today. When, and it is when, because as of yesterday or maybe even this morning. I think it was this morning. Yeah. It finally announced it. Yeah. Uh, Sony and Fox are now going to be essentially one conglomerate. Right. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that I guarantee you Mm -hmm. that in the next probably two years, we will see the re-release of the original Star Wars films uncut. Good. With all kinds of available enhancements, hopefully even some more auxiliary commentaries. Mm -hmm. Because if there's a place to put auxiliary commentaries that aren't exactly the same as the rest of the crap that they put out, Mm -hmm. this would be the place to put it. Sure. Oh, yeah. What that also would equate to is people buying stuff that's over 40 years old, which I'm telling you Disney would just salivate on. Sure. What Star Wars fan would not buy the original sons every single enhancement that's been done reels of these films right and so it's a it's a money maker waiting to happen and these numbers are something that we're going to have to revisit again in another say two to five years because they will be significantly different because of that right that's where we ask you guys what what do you find had the most impact in regard to money in regard to return of the jedi let us know what you think by going over to our website that's two guys talking starwars.com click on the contact button on the top right hand side of the page fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think the good ah the goods inside of every film not so strangely inside of all of our star wars stuff so what we find is there are about Oh, seven and a half hours of good. <laughs> sure. Right. And that trend does not change inside of Return of the Jedi. No. Vader's shuttle. Yeah, Mike, I think they picked 
a great scene to start off this movie with. Oh, yeah. On the heels of The Empire Strikes Back, on the momentum that that movie had, we see that they start off with Vader's shuttle and then the imposing figure of Darth Vader Mm -hmm. coming off of the shuttle. The steam, the ultimate bad guy, and what better to get fans geared up for this movie. I thought it was great. I thought it was a good pick, and uh, I thought it was appropriate. Oh, yeah. And you get to see, I'm pretty sure, I just watched it not too long ago, although I could have a mind blank, but I think you actually see where they're actually building another Death Star Mm -hmm. as he's pulling up to it. You're like, wait a minute, they're building another Death Star? Yeah. I mean, it almost leads you straight into, okay, now where where are we going? Isn't that funny? Because, you know, you think of all the the gargantuan construction projects that America has engaged in, right? Mm -hmm. I think probably the most prolific that I still kind of shake my head and wonder about is the reconstruction of whatever the hell on Ground Zero inside of New York, Mm -hmm. i.e. it took us 15 years to get our ass moving on that, and then it was built in just a couple of years, so yay. But the, the whole point that it took 15 years to get anything going is kind of stupid right and i don't know how much time has passed here but it's not long here's the here's the empire going back to town and already building more than half the death star yeah. which we eventually find out is not just half the death star right. and, it may, and it makes you wonder was it what is it under construction prior to right Didn't, <laughs> yeah. yeah you know well what's the backstory to that asterisk Right. Because when we get to the end of the film, we find out that it is a completely operational battle station. Right, right. So it must, have been, it must have been in the works. Yeah. Well, yes and that. no. We don't. We don't. We don't know any of that. But what I find though is that it's another total incentive point where when a nation slash entity becomes incentivized, mm-hmm. they'll do it. Right. And when you get your ass kicked, like the Empire did inside of the first film, right. mm-hmm. you know, you now notice that there is time to get it going. Right. And actually, it is more time, because if the first Death Star 15 years, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From New Hope to Jedi. And you know, now to think of it, if it's between the first film and the third film that they had, so what is it, like... I think it was, like, close to 15 years. 15 years. Okay, so, well, I guess that's terribly appropriate, then. Sure. It would fit. (laughs) It would fit. You know, when we look at the... uh, One of the other things, too, is when we look at the Empire Strikes Back, as opposed to transitioning to... The Return of the Jedi, The Empire Strikes Back, was, uh, we highlighted, it was really a highlight of the villains. Oh, yeah. It was the highlight of the, the Empire. The Empire. Right? Mm-hmm. And in this film, I think that what we're going to see, and what we're going to talk about, and we're going to do the same thing we did in The Empire Strikes Back, is it's going to highlight the heroes. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue to list our top ten in ascending order of heroes that we have through the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. All right, for, and, and for all you Star Wars fans out there, our top ten lists, I know that I've legitimately done my top ten list. I think we're going to get to Mike Wilkerson and Pat <laughs> Doring's top ten list, and it's going to be some obscure hero. I was a little you know, inspired by Mike's spilling list, the, so I went out yeah, way the, out there. But you know what? The mud These bug are the unsung that heroes. The, uh, you know? Right, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> some obscure creature that... So, Mike Wilkerson, what do you what do you got for number ten and nine? Let's hear it. I've got a pair of really great choices. Here. I I can't wait. Uh, the top ten greatest heroes of Star Wars. Number ten is deeply close to my heart, especially now as a forty seven year old man, former sign language interpreter. Mm-hmm. I had to use our interpreter inside the entire series, without which would be a very different series. Okay, and that is C three PO. 
C-3PO is often thought of just as a sidekick and like a bolt inside Mm -hmm. of a series of scenes. And what I would tell you, especially now, having been an interpreter and having the the role of what C-3PO has inside of modern day whatever, Mm -hmm. he absolutely is essential connective tissue. I agree. Whether it's the communication that's happening where you need a protocol droid providing interpreting services Mm -hmm. or just knowledge. I need knowledge. Give it to me. Sure. No problem. What do you need? And you ask the question and you get an answer and thereby are served. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that's really what has become a lot of my adult life, Mm -hmm. which is providing answers to questions people either don't know the answer for or don't want to take the time to go and find the answer. Okay. So C-3PO is my number 10. Excellent. What And who do you have at number nine? Number nine. I have a gentleman Mm -hmm. that without which the arrival of the rebel forces would be forever altered. Okay. Admiral Akbar. Right. Oh, good yeah. pick. Okay. Admiral right. Akbar is not seen for very long inside of the entire series in general, yeah. but when he is seen, he's in, he's singularly impressive. He's never not in a command chair, mm-hmm. and he is always delivering wisdom. And f- to follow up on that, he's highlighted in a lot of the books. Oh, is he? Uh, yeah. yeah, and he, he and referenced, it. And totally. referenced in a lot of the books as this military hero. And I was great, kind of surprised he wasn't wit. even in Rogue One. Yeah. I, would, I would, would have thought he would have had some kind of, you know. My guess is that the one, one that's seen in Rogue One is a re- relation or something yeah. to right. him, obviously. But um, uh, yeah, very, very highlighted in some of the books as this military expert, military hero, and the go-to, the go-to guy. Yeah. So. The other thing I wanted to make sure we mentioned too is uh, everyone will know my admiration and you know, love affair with tested Adam Savage's online channel via YouTube. Mm-hmm. And inside of there is the creation of not only the Admiral Akbar mask that he used at Comic-Con, mm-hmm. but also a wonderful outfit where it is Admiral Akbar, the, the head piece that mm-hmm. he had made, but then also a uniform that was made so that he looked like an old British admiral. Mm-hmm. And it's it's uh, very well done. I'll be sure to put links inside the show notes to that so you guys can imbibe in that as well. It's really and, great. And the race of Admiral Akbar Pat, I mean, is that the Mon, Mon Calamari? Calamari, I believe. Yeah. Very good. There he goes. Right. Awesome. Good. Anyway, that's my 10 and 9. Excellent. Pat, who All right, do you have? Like I said, I, I took a lot of inspiration from Mike's uh, villain list, so gonna these great. are going to be... Well, which, know, by the way, all the lists are going to be available over at our website. Absolutely. Too, very well, well, and we want, be. we want yeah. input from... From you, also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so my number 10 is actually a group, and it's going to be the group of rebels at the end of Rogue One who basically sacrificed themselves, and they knew where they were going to die, just okay. so they could All buy right. time. I love that. They, right. they could buy time to get the Death Star plans yeah. to right. the one guy who had them to pass on to Princess Leia. So, so much right. for scoffing at Mike Wilkerson's yeah. diversity, right? Yeah. right? No, right. I, I, right, I, I, still, I will still scoff at Mike Wilkerson. <laughs> Uh, but Pat had a pretty good number 10 pick. Who do you got that's, at 9? So number 9 is even better. How about Han, Han Solo's Tauntaun? How about Han Solo's Tauntaun? Not only did it... Lifesaver, yes, absolutely. It's smelled bad. He rode it onto right where Luke Skywalker collapsed. The poor thing collapses and dies, but it's, it's, it doesn't yeah. end there. Yeah. He used the belly and guts yeah. to keep Luke Skywalker alive. That's they should, brilliant. Yeah, he I mean, should've, he should've, you know, should've a character taken, like that should actually yeah. have a name. He should have mounted he the head back on the name. wall. Should have taken the head with him, mounted right. it back on the wall, and bronzed it. His name is going to be something cool like Whiskey. Right. Yeah. Or just had some Tauntaun, you know, a Tauntaun rug right by your fireplace. Tauntaun rug. better yeah. would that be? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Okay. We don't know that he wasn't dry, his uh, shell wasn't drying out in one of the, the hidden bays inside the Millennium right. Falcon. Yeah. That's right. They might have had him field dressed and hung up right there. So my number 10 is, and I, I've used this character before, but I think that he goes in phases. So my number 10 is 
the old Anakin Skywalker. Ooh. After Darth Vader. Interesting. If you think about it, and 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 the only character really that's been on the villain and the hero list. But at the end, uh, which we'll discuss, he turns the corner. So I've got to I've got to put him somewhere on the hero list. I'm going Saves to save uh, Luke Skywalker's life. If Pat will agree, I will allow you to put the murderer of children on right. the hero list. Just, no, 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 no. That's a different character. That's a different guy. Different character. No, that's 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 the oh, Aiden Christensen. That's right. Yeah. That's a different character. Now it's funny that you mentioned that because what I also did here inside of my other heroes is I did list from whence. I was referring to them as their most heroic piece mm-hmm. that I adored. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I, I, I will buy that. Okay, I will so that's, buy that. That's, that's my fair. number 10. Number nine, mm-hmm. I have as Mon Mothma, the uh, mm. leader of the rebellion. Good one. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the, the person who uh, kept everybody together. So I like that. And that they were able to keep her looking so young inside of Rogue One was a. Ama- yep. Oh, never absolutely. Mind. Never mind. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was great makeup. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, awesome. that's a that's a great offering for number nine, Chris. And what we also want to do is we want to ask you guys as we go along here, what were your top ten heroes? In this case, we're looking for your number ten and your number nine. Send them to us now over at two guys talking starwars.com. Click anywhere on the right hand side, fill out the quick web form and send us either just uh, ten and nine or your entire list of your top heroes from Star Wars lore. <laughs> Jabba's Palace. Yeah, we come to that scene with the massive door. Awesome. The droids. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I liked about this scene is the, the language. So you, they're speaking this foreign language, and you can't understand them. But just the body language that they put on C-3PO and his reactions to the, what, little eyeball that comes out on the on stick. On the rod, right, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can still tell, you can still kind of get the gist of how that conversation's going. And yeah. I think that that's brilliant writing and brilliant depiction of saying something without us understanding this fictional language that they went into. Yeah, and I love that you as a writer recognize something like that because a lot of people, especially for you know newer motion pictures, anytime that you start adding in subtitles or foreign language of any kind, everybody kind of turns their nose up. And right. mm-hmm. I, I am not one of those. Right. And it's not because of my bias as a former interpreter. It's because it is literally secret knowledge that you would not have otherwise. Right. Whether it is being conveyed of what they're actually saying with subtitles or not, right. you are being made privy to secret knowledge that you would not have otherwise. Right. And and that's why I like it when we do have foreign language used inside of films, in particular subtitled foreign language, right. especially when they use it and they intentionally take parts and don't subtitle it right. because they want to provide that as a piece of the story fabric. I I love That's all valuable. of that. One of the best places I've seen that used, and I have not caught up on all the seasons, which is really bad, but is the television program Homeland mm-hmm. on yeah. Showtime. Mm-hmm. Right. It is, I've only seen the first three seasons of it, but the first three seasons of it are incredibly right. effective in yep. regard to using foreign language. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, they have some excellent depictions of what to do and what not to do in regard to interpreting. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really is extraordinary and really does add great fabric to the storytelling. Well, Let's, something in that scene, too. And I, I think it's right when they walk in. I don't know because I actually had to go back and watch them. But mm-hmm. if, if you notice the giant spider mm-hmm. that goes across. Right. That goes out. Yep. Right. But do you notice that there's something on the spider's head? It's actually like a brain in a, I did not. a tube or something. Really? Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's something they added you know, if it was an add-on, so I didn't see that in the. So I actually, I actually tried to figure out well, what was, what kind of creature was that or whatnot. So supposedly, and I'm not sure if this goes with the movie or not, or if it's just you know stock stuff. But um, 
Jabba's hut was some kind of monastery before he actually got into it, and these people would uh, experiment, and that's how they got the brain on the spider or something. Really? That's very so interesting. It's like a leftover from when you know Jabba took over. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, let I me throw that. this back at you, uh, Pat Doring and Mike. Your expectations of what that was going to look like inside, my, my expectations were we were going to walk back into that bar in the first movie, and I was going to see all these crazy-looking aliens and so on and so forth, and I wasn't disappointed. But what were your expectations? I was kind of the same, but I think they they overdid it a little too much. I think they could have simplified it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just to, you know, and you know, we just got done watching some of it, but the whole dance scene where they—I don't remember if it was when they redid it—was two thousand seven or two thousand eleven. But it almost like they put too much, too many creatures in it. And almost made it too much like the canteen. Well, and the and the and the updated version, like the Blu-ray version, the two thousand eleven version, when they updated that. Mike Wilkerson, they did add a lot more. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it made it better. I think it made it worse. I, I'm but, squarely on the. I hate it. That that whole adding in the the essential duet of whatever slice, the new songs or whatever rocks, the name was. Yeah. Jedi rock song. We'll, we'll I'm not at list, all interested. List. We'll definitely list those in the bads when we get to. Yeah. Them. But yeah. Uh, what was your? So what was your expectations? What do you think? As far as what the inside of Jabba's palace? What was I expected like? to see and experience was. Oddly enough, what they showcased inside of The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. when they go and they meet the, the old sage orange right. lady, mm-hmm. that's what I was expecting. Okay. So something way more along the lines, I think, of what you were the expecting. Bar. right. It, it's definitely a bar, but it's way more sedate. But it's a, it's a, it's a conglomeration of alien species yeah. that are going to uh, be the signature of, of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, and and that really is what you got inside of the Force Awakens. It's one of my favorite parts of that movie is the being able to paint a tapestry that somehow can e- either be at the same level or better, mm-hmm. something that's already been done at least four or five times inside of Star Wars lore. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a big ask, and that you get something that quality mm-hmm. out of a film that's that big. Mm-hmm. That that that's I know that that's something no one's ever thought of, but being able to do that time and time again inside of the Force Awakens, mm-hmm. that that is a giant achievement sure, that yeah. film achieved. You know, and in this movie, you know, as uh, we'll talk about that in the bads as far as the uh, the visuals on some of the hokey things with the aliens. But what I wasn't disappointed in was uh, was Jabba himself, the way that they depicted him. Mm-hmm. What the, you got to uh, remember is. For us, this was the first time we actually saw Java. Right. You know, they actually right. re- redid it and did it in New Hope. But for uh, people sitting here at this table, this was the first time you got to know who right. Java was. And that was nowhere what I was even envisioning, not even right. close to right. the slug thing that yeah. was smoking the hookah, you know what right. I mean? And, and, and it almost it almost had some, some flashback of, the you know, this big slug-looking thing smoking the hookah back to uh, Alice in Wonderland where you had the, the crazy... Uh, what Mad was it? Hatter? Yeah, well, no, cat. you had the crazy caterpillar right, yeah. sitting on oh, the, yeah, the, yeah. the mushroom smoking the hookah. So, right. you know, you, you I instantly kind of got this vision of this smuggler, this... You know, criminal element smoking some type of illicit, you know, illegal narcotic, mm-hmm. and you know, I thought they painted him appropriate. Yeah, I, li- I, appropriate. I, I liked it a lot. It, it's it was just creepy enough, right. but totally alien enough mm-hmm. to make it something that you take in at the same time, but that you're also somehow reviled by. Mm-hmm. They really did strike that mark. The the thing that caught my eye though after that, you know, going through the entire scene, but the I think that the focus was. When they flash to Han Solo, right, mm-hmm. encased in carbonite, still there. on the wall, right, because that's what I was waiting three years 
to find out. I'm glad they got to it too, yeah. because right what could have yeah, what could have been drug out right. was not, right. and it was really really successful for not doing that. Right. Recognizing the Fett. Yeah, we get this glimpse of Boba Fett as we come in, and it was he was really a character. I don't know, Pat, oh, yeah. Pat's was, a big fan of the character, a but lot more. He was, he was really so a character thought, that they didn't highlight. Right, but you thought this was going to be it. This is going to be the movie. This is going to be the movie where they tell you more about his backstory, and mm-hmm. obviously he's a badass bounty hunter. He caught, Supposedly. you know, Han Solo and all he's going to He's hanging out with Jabba, so I mean, you're just kind of, expectations are still pretty high. Yeah. Right. What, what I find strange, too, is that you have to know that he's just there because he doesn't have to leave or hasn't found another gig to go and make right. some more scratch on. And so he's just there. What I know my 13-year-old self would have painted it, though, as is that he is an enforcer slash defender right. Right. of Jabba and Jabba's intentions. And I don't know that that's actually the case. No. I, I think he might be hanging around just because it'll be another easy score when Jabba needs something else done. Right. Because he's right there. But it was that breed of el- the element of criminal cartel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what they were trying to paint. They did some characterization on Jabba. You know, when he, he feeds the Twi'lek to the Rancor and, you know, he's uh, he's a cruel dictator type of crime lord. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I thought they did. I thought they painted that well. And the attraction of all the scum bounty hunters was just kind of an added uh, characterization to Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, yeah. The Wookiee prisoner arrives. Yeah, and I think this was uh, this was another great scene where they they entered one of the main characters right off the bat. Mm-hmm. He's in chains. Everything is looking grim. Right. And another bounty hunter better. has him. Yeah, another bounty hunter has him. It was a, a scene that. Set the tone. This is going bad. Everything's going bad. The negotiation between that bounty hunter and Jabba the Hutt further set the tone for that criminal cartel element. Mm-hmm. Even Jabba's appreciation of of the negotiations right. and how that went. And our first look at a thermal detonator. Yeah. First time it had appeared in the movie. So, so you're 15 seeing this. Pat mm-hmm. is 9 seeing this? You're 11, 11 seeing this. Yeah. Okay. So all right. 13. So, all right. So, in at the age you guys saw this, were you already able to recognize that? Hey, look, it's a ruse, and that Chewy is coming in. No, I had no, no clue. Okay, now I'm exactly the same. In fact, I think I'm towards the naive end on yeah, I, I, recognizing I things like that. No even clue now, that that was Princess Leia. And so, okay, I, and I'm with so you. At, I'm with you. At 15, I had some indication that that something was awry. Okay, that okay. something wasn't right. And if I'm not wrong, refresh my memory. There was a scene in there where one of the one of the guards was Lando Calrissian, right. and I could tell that well, he it actually was him. pulls his. And I'm like, I should. I don't know if this is a reboot or digital edit, but he actually pulls his mask down so you can actually see his full face. Yeah. So I now, now see the digital the digital overlay though. That's where he pulls out the Colt 45. Oh, I didn't see that part. That, you missed yeah. that part. Okay, I did. Yeah. Okay, what? Well, okay. okay, you're throwing sure. me off here. Sorry. Anyway, but. <laughs> I, I see. Uh, I had some indication. I thought this. I thought something was wrong. See, there was some kind of that, setup. I still was <clears> just <throat> like, okay, well, why is Lando there? What's uh, maybe you know it has something to do with Luke coming? Because you know and Luke what, was coming. And why still... are, But at fifteen, I was starting to you know put things together, figure things out mm-hmm. a little bit easier than yeah. when I first started watching the series. Right. So it was still on the edge of your seat, trying to figure out how this was going. I couldn't figure out why the droids were there or how you know what the plot was. But it it seemed like. There was some type of plan in place. 
Interesting. I, I I did not get that at all. I was totally taken unaware by it. And I, I know that a lot of that has followed me into adulthood. There's many things and have reviewing so many different things. I have many of my co-hosts go, I saw it coming a million miles away. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy that recognizes that I saw it coming a million miles away. Mm-hmm. It might just be because I'm enveloped inside the story. And I mean, this is one to be enveloped in. Right. The foiled escape. And this is where you found out it was all a setup, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was a setup that went south mm-hmm. because they got caught. Right. What I didn't see is what comes later where getting caught may have been part of the setup. Mm-hmm. That I didn't see. Yeah. So that threw me. So so kudos to the writers there. Yeah. You know, where they put that double loop in there. Hey, this is a setup. Okay, I'm kind of catching on to that. That's cool. Yeah. I got it. Okay, they got on yeah. a lot of the carbonite. Okay, they're going to escape. Oh, no, they're not. Yeah. That I didn't see coming because of what happened later, that that was all part of the setup. Yeah. You ready for me to explode to your brains? Go ahead. Ready? Okay. I know so many people now that complain about the, it was all part of the plan Mm -hmm. complaint. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And this is exactly what we're talking about here. Them getting caught is a piece of the plan. Right. Right. I I totally appreciate that. That's awesome. that's the way it is. Right. And that's awesome. What's not so awesome is that I know so many people that think that the Dark Knight, remember the the mm-hmm. second Batman film with right. Christian Bale? Mm-hmm. They think that that's where that appeared. Okay, well, I just want to make sure that everybody understands what we're saying. It, that's not where it appeared. Right. Because I'm certain that this isn't the first movie for that to happen either, but this is where something like that would have originated on a scale this large. Right, sure. Where for them to have the plan work out... You have to get caught. The first plan has to fail. The first portion of the plan has to fail. Right, right. So, again, for for everyone that wants to wail on the Dark Knight, stop wailing on the Dark Knight. In fact, stop wailing. Right. Because it's just storytelling. It's it's, it's not particularly original storytelling either. It's good storytelling because it's, it's double looping a plot. Yes. And throwing you off because they throw that curve in there right and, as and well that's good as well as taking characters that you were terribly familiar with three years ago mm-hmm. into completely different arenas right we would have never thought of seeing lando calrissian standing there inside of a guard makeup at jabba's palace right would have never seen it coming no. the chewy as a prisoner thing we've seen it before but wait a minute who is this diminutive um bounty hunter bounty hunter right. we've never seen that before right what I really love, though, and it's something we're going to talk about in way more depth later on, is the arrival of Luke and Luke's attitude absolutely. inside of inside well, of this particular scene. Absolutely. I think it's incredibly powerful. Right. You know, and that's something I think that we need to get into more depth of how they've taken these characters and developed these characters in this movie as opposed to the last two movies, where oh, they yeah. came from. Yeah. You know, when we look at when we look at it, too, like the first movie... What the first movie did, what Star Wars did, is it introduced the concept and the characters. And it was one of the best intros ever made. Mm-hmm. That Succinct. was awesome. Yeah. The second movie, The Empire Strikes Back, ramps up the action and opens multiple plots and subplots. It's one of the best-paced movies with action and drama that I've ever seen. Totally agree. So they, they completely set the bar with that. This third movie, the expectations were so high, and I'm sure it was so hard to write... Because this third movie has to take all of that and close all those loops. So I imagine that the writers in this movie had their work cut out for them. I oh, mean, yeah. it, it, how many times have you seen a movie where you're just like, and, wait a minute, that 
there was three things that didn't even cover, right. and the rest of this, what happened with these other three and things, and you're just left hanging. And as out we there. go through, we're going to highlight some of these loop closures because I want to pay respect to these writers because it's very difficult to do right. this. Yeah. You know, it, I, uh, it's great that you mentioned the, the writing aspects of what happened, or rather what needed to happen for Return of the Jedi. I think what we can also assume, and I, I, I think it has to be like this, you almost have to go, we've got to start over. Right. Mm-hmm. We can assume that all the stuff is there, but rather than having something that drifts into something we already know about, mm-hmm. it might be beneficial if we just start over with concepts of what's going to happen here. Well, and in, in writing... The rule is, and it, I'm sure it's the same with script writing, everything has to stand on its own. Yeah. So yeah. what you do is you have your first movie that's the introduction. You have your middle movie, which is the ramp-up, pace, action. You have more freedom to really develop those characters. And then you have the third, and basically what was a trilogy, right. closure. But, like I said, everything, every one of these movies has to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. So what you do in writing, and I'm sure it's the same way in script writing, is that when you say you have to start over, you don't have to retell the entire story. What right. you have to do is you have to insert small reminders to the audience Drawbacks. or a small tidbit mm-hmm. to the viewers to remind them of who this person is. Right. But if you go into too much depth in that, Mike Wilkerson, then your readers, your viewers... Your fans get turned off, lose right. them instantly because right. they don't want to. They don't want to hear it. They already Same know that. Over and over. Yeah. So it's a delicate process, well, and I, I, they've done it wonderfully in this it, in this film. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the best samples of that is probably the leaving off of origin stories inside of superhero story movies as they continue to come out mm-hmm. one by one by one by one by right. one. And it's because how many times do you need to be told that a radioactive spider bit right. Peter Parker? Right. The answer is we need to know once. Right. And then do we really need to know or, or see it Bruce again? Bruce Wayne's parents were killed. Right. 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 Multiple times. And <laughs> that we can kind of forego and step across that. It provides you more salient story time. Right. Especially in regard to something like uh, uh, Bruce, not Bruce Banner. Um, Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Wayne. A Bruce Wayne situation. Because now Warner Brothers, the people that police movies like Justice League, etc., have said you now have two hours, period. Right. You don't have a minute over two hours. Yeah. So it's got to get told quicker, so you got to jettison the whole origin story, which right. this absolutely spills into. Yeah. And, you know, we go to one of the scenes here where, where Han Solo and Chewie are reunited in the cell, and I think it's a glimpse of Bond and the relationship that they had as two friends and, and kind of an update of how things are going you know it, it's it's uh it doesn't go into a lot of depth but it continues to show and highlight these two characters as these you know, smugglers or partners or whatever that continue to uh, evolve this film they don't go into a bunch of depth you get some dialogue in there and i think that uh, the way that they pace these scenes out does exactly what they needed to do give those tidbits to remind the audience who they are what they're doing and then get on with yeah. The movement of the film. And, and, and continue to build that connective tissue, because the connective tissue is the most important part of what's going on here. Right. I totally agree with that. Enter the Jedi. Right off the bat, let's point out how Luke has evolved. Totally. So, the first movie he's come from... Farm uh, boy. Farm boy, kid. Right. Naive to the second... Explosive. Right. Reckless. So, the second movie, he evolves a little bit more... But this third movie, he they, right away they set the tone that he is this mature, controlled person. And they want to set the tone that he is this, this force to be reckoned with. 
And I think that they want to take some of those other characters, Yoda and Ben Kenobi and the Wisdom, and instill it in this character because they're not necessarily highlighting those characters in this film. So they've got to do it through Mark Hamill. They've got to do it through Luke. And I think they do that very, very well. One of the things that when he comes in, he has this overwhelming confidence. Disables the two guards right on the way into the into the palace. And I've got to point out, too, that he chokes them, slightly chokes them out, kind of a Vader-like move. And is that an allusion to, hey, you know, it's in the family? Or... Side. Well, like I said, he's <laughs> wearing scary. black, too, which is kind of unusual. Oh, yeah, that's kind of Jedi. where I was going to you know, go in regard to the... Yeah, in regard to the... the first movie, he's wearing white. Yeah. Now... Is he supposed to be, What is Is he the bad guy, the good guy? Is he, yeah. You know, where is he turning? Well, so. In regard to introductions, that's what I was going to focus on, especially inside this scene. Well, you see him in black during the entire film, yes. But what you see here is something solely different than anything you've ever seen for Luke Skywalker right. inside of the other two films. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciated about this, is that not only does he show the poise, what he also shows is what Chris alludes to that I, I find I take from every relationship I have, which is... There's always good and bad splash damage from any relationship that you have. Right. And that is absolutely showcased here with Luke Skywalker from his previous relationships with Yoda, with Ben, with Leia, and the rest of the Rebellion, mm -hmm. and anything else that he's encountered over the last insert period of time that we haven't seen him. Right. And I find it incredibly endearing. Right. Because it shows his growth and that that piece of potential that Yoda recognized mm -hmm. is still available. Right. And I, I really appreciate that inside this scene. In fact, this whole front end of the movie, I really like that right. a lot. You know, one of the things that I always ask myself, too, when I'm sizing up the heroes and the villains is how powerful are they? How, pow how do they stack up against each other? And I think as this scene progresses, we see that Luke Skywalker is no longer the farm boy, that he is this master Jedi, that he has mastered the Jedi mind trick on... Jabba's little apprentice there mm -hmm. and what I really liked was the showdown between him and Jabba mm -hmm. I find out that Luke's powerful but Jabba's immune to the mind trick too so we're going to have a good fight here I love that they showcase that and I like that Jabba has some knowledge he's not just some right. old, stupid he even says pushover old, old Jedi mind trick he knows yeah, about yeah. that yeah. he has knowledge about that yeah and I like how they highlight that. Jabba, and this is something that is really fun to think about is lots of other stories will talk about the meandering. In fact, we've talked about it. The meandering, soliloquying, evil villain inside of a film. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what I love about Jabba is that he is the evil, soliloquying villain. Oh, yeah. But he is not the one that gets caught evil, soliloquying himself to death. Right. He has the knowledge part that instantly makes him more formidable. Right. And I love that because that, that is the piece that's not showcased. Right. Traditionally, you'll get the, the uber-powerful villain that not only has somehow found our hero inside of a situation that they couldn't possibly change but shouldn't be in, and now it's time to soliloquy during which the hero will get over on the villain. Right. We don't have any of that. No. Right. None of that They could have very easily just used – he uses Jedi mind trick on Jabba and gets them, everybody out and they – Sneak Saunter out of the palace, out the and that's door. it. You right. know? Yeah. But I think yeah. that I think that Star Wars is so much more than one dimensional or two dimensional. It's it it's it's layers of entertainment that they've put together, and that's why you know Job is not the main villain. Right. We have a variety that you can choose from, and he's just another taste. So it's another flavor of villain, and I like that the, how they blend all that. It's it's good. It's yeah. good writing. It's yeah. great storytelling. Anyway, with that. 
I think we're going to cut to our next list, our next two on the list of heroes. heroes mm. yeah. Okay. The top ten greatest heroes of Star Wars. So, and I believe we're on number eight and number seven. We'll start with you, Mike. Well, oh, wait a minute. Did we start with you? Last we started time? with. Oh me. yeah, we'll uh-huh. have to. We'll have to start with Pat this time. Okay, so I'm going to throw out a name. You guys probably don't even know who he is, but you know he's he's out there. So I'm, I may <clears> be even pronouncing this wrong. Number eight. Okay. But his name is Boshek. Boshek or Boshek? I'm not sure. I just saw it. But anyway, he's the guy in the he's cantina. Not in the movie, is he? Yes, he is. He's the guy in the cantina who actually introduces Obi Wan Kenobi to Han Solo and Chewbacca. I think that. how important that is. I think is. that. I do if, think that's If that important. guy doesn't introduce him to the smugglers, he mm-hmm. picks two other smugglers. We don't even have Han Solo and Chewbacca in the movies. No, so, I, I think mean, that. That, that guy's a hero. You know. Should I, mean, I dare ask his next his next guest after I, that one? I, I think that you should, and I think you should also take some appreciation right. pills, So number Chief. seven okay. is right, someone who ahead. gave her life. Number seven? For, you know, the rebellion that was getting ready to form, mm-hmm. which would be Queen Amidala's decoy. Dude, decoys. Decoys, right. But the one Which where one? she actually did the one that got blown blown up. up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, let's I'll think about that. If Queen Amidala would have died. That's outstanding. We don't have this, the Skywalker it, it, twins. And you know what? You've just you know? you've just taken a piece of the story lore of why we're going back to the prequels. Because I'm telling you, the decoy concept mm-hmm. was one of the most brilliant pieces yeah. of oh, yeah. all of the films. Yeah. Right, yeah. It was something she, you could really appreciate. Yeah, that she is not only so popular... She is not only so hated, right. but that they can anticipate that there will be assassination attempts. And they're going to they have to have her. a series of people that they just swap out at random. Right. I dig that. I dig that. That That is great storytelling and writing. Absolutely. All right. One of them was a good pick. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Mike Wilkerson. <laughs> okay. My number Was eight. it eight? Okay. My number eight refers to one of the diminutive heroes of our currently four-part tale. Mm-hmm. But it's one without, we would have a completely different series. Mm-hmm. I have R2-D2. I agree. Mostly yeah. because the same sample series of what happens with C-3PO, i.e., if you do not have R2, you may have another astromech. Right. Sure. Sure. I can't. And he was in I can't, it from the beginning, if you recall. Right. From one I, till. I can't possibly take away that there could be another droid. But would there be another droid that is able to give us the showcase that R2 does? And I, I would have so. to say, after seeing enough droids over 40 plus years, right. the answer is no. Well, and to highlight, too, the uh, one of the only heroes that never spoke a word of English. <laughs> right. Whistles. Right. I mean, how do you do that? And that's great. <laughs> yeah. Too, too great. Uh, my number seven. I have to go back to something that we've, uh, one of Pat's actually accidentally glanced onto it, but what I want to go back to is the Empire Strikes Back's early Han Solo, Mm -hmm. in that when you talk about conviction and integrity on a dude that is, quote, a scoundrel, it doesn't get any more integrity and the power of friendship based Right. Than a dude running out into the frozen Arctic tundra. Right, loyalty. Where he yeah. knows right. his steed's going to die to go find a friend. Right. And I don't, there are many pieces, parts inside of Star Wars that we can take a hero's sip from, mm-hmm. but I don't know one that's larger there that refers to friendship. I agree. Absolutely agree. Great picks. Great picks. My number eight was Lando Calrissian. Mm. And. He, you know, he started out a little bit rocky, but in the end, and especially as we get into this movie, we see that he's he's a big part of the right. plot. Huge. And he's a big, and yeah. he's, he's a dedicated member of the team. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was my number eight. My number seven, <clears throat> we got to go back to one of the earlier films, was Qui-Gon Jinn. 
Mm. One oh of the... One I almost the, had him on my list. Almost. You know what? To me, one of the notable mentions in the hero realm, he was kind of a uh, rebel to the uh, whole council. Rogue Jedi. Right? But he really tried to do what was right, or what he thought was right. So I had him at number seven. I thought that uh, that he, he stood up for what he believed in, and I respected it. Yeah. That's where, that's where we ask you, who do you have at number eight and seven? Head over to two guys talking Star Wars.com and let us know. The Rancor of the Rancor. One of your favorite characters, right, Mike? Love it. Love, love the Rancor. Love, love the Rancor. Top villains, too, wasn't it? Top it villains. was one of the top villains. Yeah. As well know, as his handler. Yeah. <clears throat> where he eats one of the Gamorrean Guard, guards, yeah. right? Bites him in half. And, and the dancer, what's her face? Yeah. Uh, and the dancer, yeah. And he had on a full stomach. I and, guess. you know, one of the one of the things, and, you know, we may highlight some of this. I'm not sure if it's going to go into the good or the bad, but, you know, maybe both. One of the things that I want to point out where they throw Luke down to the pit is. The expression and body language that they put on Mark Hamill when he got down in the pit and Dude. he saw this thing. Yeah. No matter how well he was trained, he, he was scared. Was, yeah. yeah. So yeah. And, it, it, and, it's where you want to have the Jedi extra pants. Right. Right. Because you definitely need them and they choke and, us perfectly. Uh, yeah, and I agree. They did a good a good job at, you know, the visuals of the gate opening and this thing crawling out. To fifteen, I was like, Wow. Yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah, that thing's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the neat thing about the the Rancor is that the the scale that they reached with a miniature back then, mm-hmm. and you know the the imposing nature of what you'd think a puppet would just be stupid looking. Right. Mm-hmm. Even nowadays, they've made it such back then that it really is pulled off even today. Mm-hmm. And again, I have to tip my total hat to the people that pulled off the miniatures inside of all these films. Right. Sentenced to death. Yeah, this was the scene where they uh, they traveled to the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, Sarlacc pit, awesome. <laughs> the the Sarlacc pit is singularly interesting, mostly because of one of the video games. I'm trying to remember which one it was. I think it was the Battlefront, the original Battlefront game, mm-hmm. because you could go to Tatooine. Yeah, inside there you could go to Tatooine, and there would there is a, the Sarlacc pit was available. <clears throat> Really? Yeah, where you could shoot so, drone bad guys into okay. the hole, oh. but you could also nice. be shot and then fall into the hole. Oh. Okay. And so, it, again, I think that's what I love about all those video games. It's not so much the whole multiplayer thing, because, you know, I've, I I did that for so long, I'm just not really interested in that right. anymore. But being able to run the one-person campaigns, mm-hmm. where you can then accidentally glance on these things that are legend inside mm-hmm. of Star Wars, yeah. and actually be there and run around, you got a gun, you can fire things. And right. It's, it's, it's fun, and the, the Sarlacc pit offers something... Especially after this scene, we now know that it takes a thousand years to be digested. Right. Yeah. And, and it doesn't get any more. You've got to be kidding me. How, what are some of the worst and, things I can imagine? And well, that's about it. And yeah. I liked and I liked that they set up that lore. Yeah, me too. That that, that background. Yeah. You know, one of the other things I want to highlight in the goods because I think we're going to highlight this in the bads too sure. is 1983's Sarlacc Pit. Looked better. Was cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was just this pit with these like teeth looking yeah. thing coming out. I think it, I think it and did it, justice. To and the it Star-like did justice. Pit. Now we'll talk about in the bads the 2011 Sarlacc pit, but with the hokey noises but, and whatnot. But yeah. we'll you know. But well, 1983 Sarlacc pit has to be among one of the goods. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, one of the other things I liked about that scene was uh, the rant that Harrison Ford goes on to uh, as he's blind, standing on the uh, walk the plank right. barge. 
to Jabba the Hutt. It always every time I watch it, it causes me to chuckle. It, it's just it's just epic him, you know. I don't you know you tell him that worm ridden whatever whatever and reactions from the other people. You know if you look at the look on Mark Hamill's face and and even uh, Billy D Williams, they're like. Uh, maybe you're going a little too right. far, but uh, it had the effect that they wanted it to have. I thought that it was uh, kind of a great little bit of comic relief and defiance. It, it, it's that comedic cowboy-based relief that happens throughout the entire that film continue series. Continue right. to continue yeah. to build on that great yeah. characterization. Yeah, well, I think what also is recognizable is that when they try to do it inside of other movies and it fails, right. this is the reason why the bar is so high. Right. It, it, it really does give you a comparison on both. One thing I was confused about now, because I, I watched it a couple times, so does Han Solo know Lando's there at this point yet? I don't think so. I don't think he does, but I watched this three times now. So Luke's standing on the plank, Han's right next to him, and he says something to the effect of, hey, just stick by Hold me. My stick close, close, Stick close to me, and or he says stick close to Chewie and Lando. I'm like, well, wait a minute. How does he know Lando's there? Who else we miss? Han Solo. At this point, I don't think Han Solo knows Lando's there because he's blind, right? So how does he know Lando is there? But he says it, at some point he goes, stick close to Chewie and Lando. Maybe Leia whispered some sweet nothings to know. him? I That's what I was just, I was kind of confused. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be something like that. And I like went that. back to watch him like, I, did I miss it? Did he tell him that yeah, was I Lando? Or I, don't, I don't know. I was just one of those points where I was like, I don't know. The only time I remember, and again, it's been a while since I've seen this, but the only thing I remember that Han has a realization moment is where he says the words, Boba Fett, Boba Fett. Right. And that's where he turns around and whacks the, whacks the, right. the, the jetpack. Feared bounty hunter. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to probably talk about that in the bads, but. As this scene continue, as it continues to unfold, and we get into the fight scene, we notice now we're going to talk about this later, definitely too, that uh, Luke Skywalker has changed his lightsaber blade to green, so he no longer has that blue blade which he lost when his hand was cut off, and now he's changed it to green. We're going to go into some of that later on, and see and, uh, with I the significance this, of the blades. But if you recall, the the his blue blade was Anakin's original blade. It was his father's, right? That, so that's left. That hence goes why it was blue. So then, if you go into the lure of the colors, that's maybe why he picked his own color, and it's a different color. And we'll we'll get into some of that in a little a little bit later in the film, but Isn't but it's it? worth noting now. It's worth noting now, and I think that additionally after that, when we talk about Boba Fett, and I think this is one of the things that we'll bring up later in the bads too about how did Boba Fett fare? Yeah, we'll discuss Not very that. Well. we'll discuss that later. <laughs> if we don't get it to it today, we can talk about it later because he's going to be in the same place for a thousand years. So right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, digesting slowly. So. <laughs> right. Anyway. Well, unless you're a fan of the comics and he's anyway. actually escaped and he's out, he's out again. So. At the, at the end of this, at the end of this, I think it's important for us to highlight, like I said, this is the third movie and this is the movie that the writers had a challenge to close these loops. So let's talk about a couple loops closed. This is the end of Boba Fett. He's gone. This is the end of Jabba the Hutt. She strangles him with the And if chain. you, if you, if you look loop at it. closed. Loop closed with Boba Fett, loop closed with Jabba the Hutt. Mm-hmm. So they check that off the list. And like I said, just to highlight how difficult this is, continue that plot. You take out two of these characters. Maybe they weren't you know, huge characters, but some significance. And I appreciate the fact that they took the time to write it in there. There's a couple other things that get closed, especially in regard to story loops here, that I want to make sure we mention too. The other giant closings happen that happen here are, one... Han Solo is alive and well. Right. He has no more closes out that loop. Yep. Right. Right. The relationship between Leia and Han now gets rejoined. Right. Solidified. The not being sure what's going to happen to Luke 
well, we kind of know what's happened to Luke. He's composed himself. He's elevated his skill sets. He's done some more, at least some more training Mm -hmm. so they can do all kinds of awesome and he gets taken care of. That's, that's all taken care of. One of the biggest ones though is focuses that this is essentially only the second scene inside the movie. Right. Right. And so that what I think Star Wars has always been known for, especially these first three, first four films, is that it can pack so much into so brief a time, but not so much that it's not given enough time for any of it. Mm-hmm. It's given the perfect amount of time for all of it, right? And then continues to run forward at a sprint. It's it's so rare, and I don't know of another movie that is like that. And let me let me close this segment out with this thought too. As they're closing all these loops, trying to pace this writing out, at the end of the scene, how do they end it? They end it by this escape in the Millennium Falcon and an X-Wing, and then they split the plot again and thus have to take it in two different directions, potentially maybe opening more loops, to loops. that they're going to have least, to close. At least two right. loops, right. Yeah, so, no, I love that. I love so, that. And I appreciate I that. that they're not afraid to do that. Yeah. The Top 10 Greatest Heroes of Star Wars. So this is where we, we transfer back over to our lists, our mm-hmm. hero list, and we're looking at heroes 6 and 5. So what say you, Mike Wilkerson? 6 and 5, who do you have? Number 6. My number 6, ironically, is whom we just got done talking about, and that would be Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. inside the front-end load of Return of the Jedi. Okay. Okay. Between the look of the character that, especially when you look at the discombobulated, wait a minute, I can't, I'm not going to be able to clap my hands at a, at a football game anymore, mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker at the end of the last film. Right. To the incredibly composed, incredibly powerful, and able to handle just about anybody he meets, mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker in the front end of this film. It, it's, a, it's a total departure and gives you almost a completely different character than what we finished out with inside of End of Empire sure. Strikes Back. Sure. And... Uh, a, a better hero, I don't know that I can put in front of him uh, as number six. Absolutely. Well, who do you have at number five? Number five. Uh, number five, I have one of my favorite characters of all time. It's episode three, Ben Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And what you really get to see, I, I first want to take my hat off to Ewan McGregor. Because coming up behind a guy like Alec Guinness... And saying, and now you're going to be him, but younger. Right. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine how daunting that felt when he originally was given that. I think he did that. great. I thought he, he did great. Beyond in the, great. In that yeah. film you're talking about. Yeah, be, beyond great. If there was a guy that needed to embody what we see mm-hmm. as younger Alec Guinness providing stories that Alec Guinness never knew anything about, mm-hmm. this is it. And Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor gives us that. More importantly, what he gives us is the whole I have the high ground speech. Right. That, that, that scene is not only my imagination lore from when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but when you finally actually get to see it, mm-hmm. I mean, it really yeah. is impactful. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly powerful, and uh, it's just disturbing enough uh, in regard to look at guy burning alive. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just disturbing enough to really provide the impact of what really was the origin point of Darth Vader. Right. I mean, that's it. The guy chopping off your arms and legs and leaving you to To, burn. Right. Right. Uh, What I love is Ewan McGregor as Ben Kenobi absolutely owns it. He knows what he's just done. Right. More importantly, what he also knows is I am leaving you here to die. Right. Right. And the conviction of all of that is what makes me put him up as uh, number five. Right, and I agree. He did. He did great. My number six was Yoda. 
I had him mm. at number six, and mm-hmm. I think that he was one of those characters that when he started out, it was one of those things where, how are you going to make this Muppet into a hero? Right. But they did it. Dude. They did it with, with the dialogue, with the great writing of characterization that they did, and I've got him right in the middle of the pack as one of the premier heroes through the, through the entire series of the film. Mm-hmm. My number five, I'll build on what you said, my number five was Obi-Wan Kenobi, so the older you know, Ben Kenobi through first three films, I think without that character, I mean, it, it pushed those films into, that was, that was a pivotal piece that character set up as a hero. Had it not been for him, they could not have set up all the other heroes. They couldn't have set up Luke Skywalker. Right. They, don't, they couldn't have, I mean, Princess Leia. He was some of the glue, I think, that kept everything together, even though we lost him in the first film. And there were only tidbits of him in the second and third film, but he still carried a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah, so. that's a great choice. What do you have, Pat? Well, those were some pretty good choice, but I don't think they'll hold a candle to my yeah, number sure six not. or my number five. Sure not. So no, my number six is You actually is know a, the name of your... Yes, R5-D4. I don't know if you're if you familiar with yep. R5-D4. I have the figure. He was the, the red astromech, or astromech yeah. droid that actually sacrificed himself on the Sandcrawler when the Jabba's were picking... You know, Remember they were at the Skywalker Ranch and... They actually picked I uh, the red uh, one. Uh, they picked the red yeah. one first, and yeah. you know what he did? He he basically sacrificed himself <laughs> and blew himself up so R two D two could I, be I don't chosen. Think, I don't. Th- I think it was just poorly crafted. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was an my, actor. My story, I think it was my an actor story, dispute. My story sounds better, but anyway, uh-huh. he sacrificed himself so that we could have R two D two in the Star Wars universe in the next three films. Incredibly mm-hmm. inventive. I like right. that. Mm-hmm. I will give you my name. So my, my number five not. is another inspiration. I don't. Know, you guys may not know him. Biggs Darklighter. Sure. So oh, actually, yeah. Biggs actually was cut Biggs, from the dude. first first oh, no. scenes in the movie on Tatooine. He was actually friends with Luke's, and, and he was the one that inspired Luke to join the Academy. Because Biggs, if you remember the, the dialogue, Biggs had already been there, and that's where he was at, and that's where mm-hmm. he wanted to go. Well, we actually get to see Biggs at the very end of New Hope. He's the one who sacrificed himself in the trench and made a wedge block, basically, so Luke could destroy it as Darth Vader blows his TIE fighter. Or his, uh, so he was a pilot? Up. X-wing he was an pilot. X-wing pilot who okay. sacrificed himself, okay. all right, and basically wedged himself in between him and Luke, between Vader, and he, you know, sacrificed. That himself. wasn't Wedge Antilles that wedged himself. No. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what Wedge Antilles thought of the wedge maneuver right. by Biggs. It was Biggs, yes. <laughs> Biggs dark lighter. Right. Oh, those are great choices and incredibly inventive. Way more inventive than mine. So that's awesome. That's great. Absolutely. And that's where we ask you. Do you agree with uh, Pat Doring's picks? So head on over to twoguystalkingstarwars.com and let us know what your picks are, obscure or not. We'd love to know. If, if there's a character that we, we've we missed and uh, some obscure character that we just can't pronounce the name of, please go over there and let us know. would still be a hero, though. The Might of the Empire. Yeah, Mike, this is one of those scenes that if I want to put on a poster you get that scene where you see all those stormtroopers lined up they're in formation you got the military officers there and then you have the the visual of those red imperial guards coming off that shuttle and you know eventually it gets to vader kneeling before the emperor but when you get that overall scene of the troops the hardware the ships the it's just it's awesome and that you know me at 15 uh, looking at that visual that is this movie yeah 
And it, it made you wonder who who were these guys because this is the first time you actually saw these the Imperial right. Guards too. So you're like, well, who are these guys? Right. They're all dressed in red, red. You know, I mean, yeah. right. What this, all, this scene also reminds me of is one of the very first visuals I remember seeing from the second prequel, mm-hmm. and it's something that they've showcased in I think almost every single movie at this point. But it's that you know seeing this giant sea of stormtroopers right. and giant sea right. of mechanized right. death yeah right they've never not struck gold with that regardless no. of the film no right and and it, it really is powerful it really does right. push a it pushes some very inherent foundational button absolutely and they've and, continued and they continue to do it yeah, yeah they continue to use it you know if you go to the uh, force awakens and you look at the uh, mm. the first order and they the, the, when they show the, the sprawl. Entire, yeah, right. yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. it's still effective as that scene continues the other thing that they do is they 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 give you all these visuals they kind of put you on overload you know with all these visuals and then they round it out with this this plot this the plot that the emperor has to turn luke and this is one of the things that we've been waiting for we want to know this side. We want to know this, you know, because the people, people who are younger, who've, who've had the opportunity to see the first three movies, back then, there weren't the first three movies the, in chronological order, and we didn't know all the background. So you had no background of the Emperor or Vader's relationship with the Emperor. And this is starting to give that, that little bit of insight. And it was just something that just drugged me into the movie. Returning to Dagobah jungle the nasty jungle and i gotta i gotta be honest when i first they first got down to dagobah and such and i thought that's eh, gonna be another one of those jungle scenes i don't know i really my anticipation i don't know that i was really anticipating watching the scene or liking the scene because they just flashed from that epic scene of the new death star and the emperor and vader and i wanted to know more about that and they really had me going down that plot line and I thought, eh, okay, we got to go back and see Yoda and so on and so forth. How is this going to go? But I got to tell you, I wasn't disappointed. They really put the time into this. And as always, the dialogue that they wrote into this kind of rounded out that last scene because I wanted to know about Vader. I wanted to know about the relationship, Luke's relationship, and so on and so forth. And this turned into an outstanding scene. The dialogue where Luke has said to Yoda, okay, I'm done. Now I'm a Jedi. And he says, no, not yet. And breaks it to him that he's got to go confront Vader. And that's where they start that inner struggle of, well, first of all, of him asking, is he my father? Yoda not answering. They go into that. That's a great piece of dialogue and drama. It kept me interested. It kept me interested. One of the other things I need to highlight is when Yoda confirms that it's his father, they start in with that music, that brilliant music that John Williams is just it's, it's, incredible yeah, for. Yeah. And it, 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 it sets the tone. It yeah. sets that that just depressing tone of the horrible reality. Yeah. The, the tone that you're referring to is something that John Williams refers to in a variety of interviews across a variety of different properties of music that he develops. The one I always remember is E.T. Mm-hmm. And what he calls it inside of all of his scores is The Call. 
and the call he's referring to is the da, 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 da. yeah and that right. how, no matter how that's depicted that call is instantly moving right the other one that gets me instantly even just thinking about it is the call that's inside of et mm-hmm. because you want to talk about a movie that instantly moves me to just piling blubbering man flesh mm-hmm. et is that movie we've done right. a perspective review of that in fact you can listen to it right now over at two guys talking.com forward slash et and it, it doesn't get more powerful than taking incredibly powerful acting by dude and puppet, by the way. Right, right. And in particular, death scenes. Yes. Any of you that have seen an ineffective death scene will instantly be able to recognize an effective right. death scene. Right. And imagine this just walking up to somebody going, okay, so I got this green puppet. I'm going to have my hand, right? Mm-hmm. And he's going to die, but he's going to be incredibly old, sage, and wise. And it's going to move the audience. And you got to be kidding me. his last me. words are going to be powerful, too. Yeah, yeah. it's going to move the audience. But, I mean, I mean, look at the build-up to it. You've got to set the stage for it, too. Your father, he is, told you, did he, and then they go into that music, and it sets that. Your father, just, he is. Just, right. do, yeah, it, just it, that depressing tone, that, that instant horrific realization and and then they go into the death scene they leave you with something that i was just blowing my mind right. at 15 i can't figure out another sky right who is Wait it a minute yeah now it's and it's killing me what do you yeah, think Pat? That's, that's exactly where i was at i'm like well who is it you know who is this other skywalker i mean it was just one of those mind-blowing things again where you're like wait a minute where's this guy at because that's what you immediately think where's this this guy's brother at or something to that effect so yeah and I I love all of this, mostly because it, it, it preys on the nostalgia you've already got established inside of the first two films. But then it also just preys on the, the love of what you're already built into as a fan of the story. Right. Like we've talked about forever, I don't know another property that's able to jump in and have this kind of impact. Right. And it I, just it doesn't exist. I want to highlight some acting in this too. When when you look at when you look at that scene and you look at Mark Hamill's facial expressions when in, during the death scene when you right. guys they're good. I mean he re, he really has that look of remorse, compassion. Well, not not necessarily remorse, but that look of you know that he's just empathy. lost a friend. He gets yeah, it. absolute yeah. empathy, yeah. right? Absolutely. And he, and, I totally agree with that. And it's great, great acting. And they don't stop it there. They, you know, from there they end that and they go right into the Obi Wan ghost explanation, which is another mind blowing scene. So you know, going into the going into the whole scene, going into the whole Dagobah setting, I thought it's going to be disappointing. You know, I I, I want to know more about the last scene that we just looked at. But incredibly, this was even more enticing, super impactful, and mm-hmm. you know, kudos kudos to them it was just it was just great you know here was the reveal they didn't wait till the end to reveal that the other one that he was talking about is your sister at right the they went right into it you know what that tells me that they're not afraid they even have something bigger in mind that's going to be a bigger culmination and i'm thinking how could they how could they make it any bigger than that but they did so excellent yeah the building block factor what happens inside of this film probably Empire Strikes Back absolutely builds faster and the pace is way more harried. There's no question. Mm-hmm. But the the building blocks factor that's showcased inside this movie, I, I don't think it, either of the other two or the other three match it. No. And I mean, like I said, those writers were, were, were just in epic writing mode. And I'm confident that it was extremely difficult because the expectations were so high. 
after the first two films, but I gotta tip my hat to him. The Rebel Fleet. Yeah, the two smugglers are now generals. And we have Mon Mothma and the next Death Star off of Endor. Kind of sets the tone of the Rebellion is built on just whoever they right. can gather. If you see all the ships, there's the just a rag bunch of ragtag. Yeah. It leads you back to what, Battlestar Galactica, a ragtag group. Fleet, you know, yeah. So, yeah. And so are their pilots. It's just a bunch of ragtag people that they could get to volunteer, but they got skills. Like I said, their two generals are two smugglers, mm-hmm. but they know what they're doing. Not only do they know that, know what they're doing, but they know how to rally people. And I mean, that if you had to boil it all down to how the rebellion eventually wins, it's being able to rally the right people right. at the appropriate times. Luke sensing Vader. The scene... I think was something that highlighted where we were at as far as where the development characterization of Luke Skywalker was, because that's how we came into this film. It's how, more evolution dictation. Yeah, right? how yeah. far developed in mm-hmm. these force powers is he? But also, we want to know a little bit more about these this connection, this interconnection that they all have. I think this is one of the things that highlights that. What I really do compare this, I think that's what I love most about doing these perspective reviews, is that you're able to take all of the movies and television and whatever else you've imbibed in as throughout your life. And you get to throw it back on things that you really are endeared to. What I would compare this scene to is another one of my favorite movies, which is the original matrix mm-hmm. 1999, which we've also done a perspective review on. We did the perspective review of that with dynamic firearms trainer, Matt Bauer, mm-hmm. who owns sovereign arms, sovereignarms.com. The giant benefit of what happened inside of that movie is that not so strangely than what we see here, There is a revelation moment, and the revelation moment inside of the Matrix comes way towards the end. But man, does it come. And it's where Neo has been mortally wounded, Mm -hmm. except somehow, unbelievably, he stands up and now for the first time can actually see what the code is building. Mm -hmm. I would equate that to this, absolutely, because for the first time in proximity, Luke now has the lights turned on. Mm Mm-hmm. He now, the the senses that he's now developed can now actually outstretch further to the area around him so that he can enhance the experience he has as a Jedi, but then also convey that information onto the people that are around him to save their lives. Right. right. I love that. Absolutely. Endor, a world of green. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that this was a great visual, Mm -hmm. and if you've ever played the Battlefront game... Mm -hmm. No, this is one of those things oh, yeah. that I I like Me the too. setting. Me too. And at yeah, Endor, the biker scout bike. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The forest and the green and the, even the the tiered Gen- platforms that you can right. climb yeah. up on. Because I tell you what, if you climb up on one of those, you can snipe somebody from yeah. a long <laughs> distance awesome. off. Right. It, it, so it's awesome. What I also remember vividly and still remember every time I watch this, but remember the original. I'm I'm remembering the original Battlefront game. Is that you're remembering as well, or are you thinking about something recent? I'm talking about the one recently, the, okay. uh, the I, player I versus player. Got it. I don't have the I don't have the recent one yet. Yeah. But what I did have well, was no, the, I'm sorry. The very first. I'm talking about the I'm yeah, talking about the original Battlefront yeah. okay. Xbox One Battlefront yeah. PvP, not the newest release. Okay, so, so well, I think we're thinking about the same one. I'm just thinking about PC. Anyway, what I remember most vividly about that Endor map 
is the light fall out of the tree canopy that you have yeah. as you're walking mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. or where I always remembered is you're wanting to not get sniped by somebody. Right. right. And so right. being able to walk, but then just seeing the gentle sway of trees right. yeah. and then the light falling through the trees as it sways. Right. That's what really moved me about that. And it's what moves me still as I watch this film, the, the right. giant canopies of redwoods. I've never seen those in person, but I'd love to. Uh, but what it all harkens back to is this scene. Absolutely. And, you know, when they, they, they begin the scene, they started off um, as uh, where they have the confrontation with the uh, stormtroopers. Biker and they Yeah, and we get a new look, right? Mm-hmm. A new look to the stormtrooper. Uh, we get a new vehicle. Mm-hmm. Epic vehicle. Right. right. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're in this fight. They still have time to, to put a little bit of a comic relief in there where um, we've got the classic Harrison Ford with the one-liner, you know, hey, it's me. Hey, what are you worried about? It's me. You know, just to add to the detail of the scene and then a an epic, fast-paced chase scene that if you were in a, a large 360-degree theater or 180-degree theater, you know, large theater, would make you throw up. You know, watching that, it's just so fast-paced and uh, you get that visual of nearly hitting those trees and right. so on and so forth. Just a great scene. Yeah, I, I love the stuff on Endor. It provides us with so much nostalgia as you think about it these many years later. I don't think anything has ever recaptured that. Right. I don't think any other movie has actually taken time to go and film yeah. in the Redwood Forests. And I think this is why. <laughs> I really do believe that. How can you possibly shoot what was the moon of Endor Forest and right. go, hey, look, it's not the moon of Endor in some other movie. Maybe the newest Planet of the Apes films... Except I don't mm-hmm. think that they're filming in the yeah, Redwood Forest. They they're essentially, quote, shooting in California. Right, but right. I think that's why. I think that's why you don't see it. Because mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly film it any time right. and go, hey, look, it's a piece of Star Wars 3. Right. The last thing I wanted to mention about this scene, too, is that this was one of the very first filmings utilizing and helping to develop the onset of the Steadicam. For those of you that don't know, the scenes that were filmed throughout the forest were essentially someone walking through a forest on Steadicam and then just speeding that footage up. Mm-hmm. Well, this absolutely helped in the development oh, yeah. and finding the nooks and crannies inside the problems that were a Steadicam mm-hmm. because obviously it's got to be smooth. Right. Again, being able to pull that together as something that's incredibly common, you or I or Pat or anybody walking through a forest and then using that as vehicle travel, that's mm-hmm. another step forward yeah, for sure. Absolutely. The Ewoks. We're going to get into some of this, too. And, I, you know, there's going to be probably some bad because I, right off the bat, i got to say that the Ewoks and the concept of the Ewoks take a lot of criticism. I want to talk about some of the good with this, too. And we're going to oh, talk about some of the here bad. here comes the Ewok apologist. <laughs> well, here, here's, I don't know if you're but, aware, but, but... Let's break it down. You know, let's the Ewoks were originally supposed to be reptilian. Really? I, I, did, I, not, supposed to be a I reptilian. did I don't I did know if they were supposed to be either... What kind of reptiles are in the in, the, in, a, in a forest, the jungle? Oh, no. Snake but, but supposedly it was too dark, and they said, no, we're going to go with the fuzzy teddy bears instead. So I don't know. The, the, so, the what, yeah, you know what? The reptilians might have done it. It might have been better. it might have been more creepier. But, I mean, but here's know. the thing. So, <laughs> so if we... We'll get to some of this in the bad, but is all the criticism justified? No. So I, let's, let's take I will jump at, on the other side. So, so of let's that. let's take a look at some of the some of the stuff they did, because there's depth. I mean, there is depth to the to the character. Now, there's some things that just drive me up a wall, and it's hokey, and we'll talk about that. But let's talk about some of the things that probably took a lot of time to build. So they built a whole new culture, 
a whole new setting. Mm-hmm. They built right. a new language. Mm-hmm. They built in communication with between our main characters and this Thanks new... Thanks to C-3PO, this, by the way. Right. Right. And this new... Right. An interpreter. Mm-hmm. And this new primitive race of Teddy something bears. that keeps you <laughs> guessing. Are they animal or are they intelligent? You know, intelligent the, animals? Intelligent animals. Okay. And, and, and I can back that up because I've got to say that <laughs> my one-and-a-half-year-old Wheaton Terrier, who's crazy, he watches TV, right? You know, when an animal comes on the TV, he goes bananas. Well, the Ewoks throw him off. See, because when when they come in <laughs> and they... Hate him or he not? doesn't He doesn't. Because what happens is he, they come in, and when they're walking upright and they're bobbling around and all that, he's looking at them and he's thinking, is that an animal? And then all of a sudden they grunt or whatever, and he goes crazy. He does three little loops... And he just goes off like he wants to eat them. Anyway, my dog hates them, but that's where we're at. That, that's that's. There's the picture. Okay, there you go. awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I, I, I want said, that picture. We're like putting that earlier, picture on the website. That should be a litmus yeah, test ahead. for any future yep, you can, and, writer, and, yeah, producer. Fact, if your will, animal uh, hates the characters, don't put the character yeah, in, in the fact, movie. In fact, we will uh, <coughs> or the we, book. We will uh, highlight the picture of Murphy the dog Murphy watching the, dog. the Ewoks. On the television, I must now know why he's named Murphy. What is the? He's a Irish Wheaton Terrier, so yeah. we've 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 given him an Irish, Irish name, Murphy. Name. Irish name, interesting. That's great. That's great. And that's actually where we ask you guys. Uh, the Ewoks are a definitively earthquake-inducing mm-hmm. element inside the land of the Force and Star Wars in general. We're curious what you think about the Ewoks. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's Two guys talking Star Wars.com. Click anywhere on the right hand side of the page, fill out that quick web form, and tell us of your either hatred or dancing around in circles before barking when it comes to the Ewoks. The Red Imperial Guards. I gotta tell you, from from the first movie up to this point, you know, I've always admired the different looks that they give the stormtroopers, the TIE fighter pilots, the helmets and stuff. But these Imperial Guards really have a unique set of armor. And, 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 and to I this appreciate day 40, it. Yeah, and to this day, 40 years later, still remain mysterious. Right. Absolutely. You don't know who they are. No they're, idea. They're right. these elite guards. Now, if you go back into some of the books, they will highlight how well-trained they are, how right. lethal they are, how dedicated and loyal they are, how mm-hmm. they, how they, they uh, follow this, uh, you know, this extremist regiment protocol and things like that so it's very interesting that is how i imagine them because they don't go into a lot of depth but you know when you talk about the action figures they did come out with one of these oh yeah uh, and those were highly coveted action figures were they not oh yeah and the hardest piece to keep on them was the red cape Mm -hmm. it actually was just a piece that fit on the bottom too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah when it's because there was so little to actually put the cape onto yeah so, yeah, that, that's very well said. And, uh, again, to this day, it's originally I'd thought that everybody under a helmet was just all kind of blood and guts and whatever underneath mm-hmm. their helmet. And there's still one where I could go, okay, and so Don't all know. the others are people. Right. Those right. guys, however. Right. Yeah. No, I, right. I totally agree with that. from the clones. Yeah. Right. You yeah. Know. As this scene continues to unfold, one of the things that we see and one of the things that stood out to me was that the Emperor and Darth Vader are speaking and Vader can feel Luke's presence. You know, as we talked about this force presence, but the emperor can't, and that's something that really threw me. And it, it, you know, at at fifteen, there's got to be something to this, right? And what we also see here is somewhat of a dissension 
of loyalty because the emperor questions Vader's motives right. at that point in time because they've done this brilliantly. The pacing of this movie, they've done this, and they've inserted just enough for you to question because they've inserted you know Luke's comments of, you know, I can't kill my father, there's still good in him, things like that. And this is where you question that, where you see this kind of dissension and this interaction. And I think that it's placed perfectly for the pacing to give that viewer that incentive to ask that. What do you guys think? I love the dichotomy that's showcased here. So much insert thought on one side, and then you've got thoughts on both sides. Right. Both from the storyline that's been showcased already, right. but then what you think is going to happen inside the movie. Right. And again, it gets back to that the storytelling that allows your mind to, to reel as you're taking it in. Right. And that's why I'm so disappointed with so many modern day films because they don't do that anymore. It's just spectacle after spectacle after spectacle. And there's never any, and now it's time for you to think of what's going to happen. By the way, while that's happening, we're going to show you some really interesting storytelling over here. Right. That I don't, I just don't experience that anymore. And yet in a movie this far along into the movie, still not afraid to continue to open another loop. Right. Not only open another loop, but provide you with different cues and tidbits that you've never had before inside mm-hmm. of the now. What is depicted here? Are we at 20 years-ish as we round this through? it's got to be close to, yeah. So mm-hmm. over across 20 different years of development, they're still showering us with new bits and pieces. Uh, I, again, I don't know another franchise that is able or willing to do anything like that right now. Chris, if I'm not mistaken, it's time for some more heroes. It is. It's time for number four and number three. And I'll start this one out. Okay. The top ten greatest heroes of Star Wars. Number four. My number four, I have Jen Erso. And the reason that I have Jen Erso is that she was... And if you, if you haven't seen the movie Rogue One, you have to go watch it. Yes. And then go over to twoguystalkingstarwars.com and listen to the perspective review on Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Jen Erso is is a hero. Oh, yeah. Is a hero because she displays all of the characteristics of, you know, at first they develop her as this rebel, this person who has had a tough life but cannot follow the law, cannot follow the kind of like a Han Solo, but in the end is willing to sacrifice her life for the greater good. In my opinion, it's just the epitome of a hero. So kudos to them, and that's why I have her so high up on the hero scale. She's excellent. She's um, also excellently <clears throat> written. The uh, Again, running headlong into something of a feature film that's based on a couple of sentences of dialogue mm-hmm. in a second movie in a series of now what will be uh, nine movies here mm-hmm. in another couple of years is amazing. And to be able to pull off having that role, I mean, just – that's a huge ask, and I consider that ask completely paid off. Well, absolutely, and in its tribute to the people that wrote Rogue One, mm-hmm. putting that together from just that spark of a concept. But mm-hmm. they, they put all that depth in there, all that, that great dialogue writing, the, the characterization. It is the complete package. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. And like I said, head over to twoguystalkingstarwars.com and listen to the Rogue One perspective review. Number three. My number three, going along with that, on the heels of that, is Han Solo. He, Where Han you, Solo? As you, 
He's been around I, for forty years, so I yeah, gotta have you peg him. I, I've got a, you know, you know what? It's I think it's the complete package. Complete from, package. From, okay, that's, from, a, that's fair. From movie New one all two. the way through to the end, because did you like him a lot when he murdered Greedo? He, yeah, I still liked him. Right, and you know what? Him. I wouldn't have taken. I, you know, and he too. shot first. You know, so you know, that's what a survival skill. That's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and the reason I like that is because, is because they didn't depict him, especially in the the original film. They didn't depict him as this. I'm gonna kill you, this, you son of a bitch! You know, Snow White, good guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was flawed. Yeah. But in the end, the things that were important to him were loyalty to the few friends that he had, because there was a lot of people who just didn't like him. Mm-hmm. But also loyalty to a cause. I mean, he was motivated by money and so on and so forth. But that wasn't this. That wasn't in the end. That wasn't you know really where his heart you know, took him. Mm. And I always like a story where you've got a guy that's kind of walking the edge or you've got a guy that maybe is on the wrong side and he turns it around. Harrison Ford depicts him like nobody else could. Oh, yeah. So that's my uh, that's my number four and number three. What do you got, Doring? Well, those, those were pretty good. But once again, I don't think they stack up to my number four or my number I'm three. I'm sure they don't. Number four? Unfortunately, my number four doesn't have a name. Well, that doesn't have a that's, name at all. You know, but the man who is the walking <coughs> Star Wars encyclopedia. Could you describe what they look like? This, Can you show us a picture in the movie? Can you remember him? So anyway, so he is the A-wing pilot that kamikaze into Darth Vader's super Death Star that made it crash into into the Death Star. So oh, the, 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 into the, the Death Star destroyer. Right. The, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they or Super Star Destroyer. Yeah. Okay. yeah so I'm not even sure shoot, there was an actor in that. There just was. To, but anyway, just, they okay. shoot this it little ball. Drone. So the little ball blows up, and all of a sudden, the Super Death Star is vulnerable to where one A wing can just slam into the, the base. And that guy, you know, mm-hmm. that guy did it. You know, so I mean, inventive, yeah. most inventive. Him. I will give you, know? you that. Sure. Sure. Number three. My number three, and we've already mentioned this guy. I we, might, we might cut you off if number three doesn't come through. Here. My Go number ahead. three is Wedge Antilles. If you recall, Wedge no, Antilles I'll, I'll was in that. the first battle of the Death Star. You know, he helped he along. Was. He was also at the Battle of Hoth. Right. And he was one of the guys, I believe, that rescued Luke and Han when they were stranded on Hoth. You're right. And then he was actually in the, the second Death Star when he was actually in the, you know, mm-hmm. there with the Millennium Falcon blowing it up, too. So, I mean, the guy's been in three major battles, uh-huh. and yet... A lot of people, lot of people well, know Wedge Antilles. Well, and Wedge Antilles is a big He's, character in a lot of the books, too, right. isn't he, Pat? Yeah, Rogue they, Squadron. They have a Rogue Squadron series of books, and he is a big character. He's a and he's a big part That's why of, he's number three on my list. He's a big part of the uh, Rebellion, and he's one of the premier pilots, isn't he, Pat? Yeah, he is. So, You know, a lot of people also don't know that Wedge Antilles is also responsible for the development of the Wedgie. Right, which is yeah. what he would give yeah. to all of his friends. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So, right. I didn't know that. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Sure. Trivia. Showering with knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. My number four and three heroes. Number four. Are at number four. I have the Force Awakens. Ray. Absolutely. The good mention. The good actress mention. that is developing, along with the character that is developing, yeah. that started in The Force Awakens, is something that makes me anticipate the next film, right. which right. all three of us will be watching sometime this weekend, right. so much that I don't know how to quite quantify my She's anticipation. Excellent, excellent actress. She Not only is she an excellent actress, The what strikes me the most about Ray is... The look of determination inside of everything that she's doing inside the only trailer I've seen for this next film. Something that you can take to the bank on characters that can convey so much when saying very little or nothing Mm -hmm. is that when they do it and they do it regularly and consistently, Mm -hmm. 
they are just a great actor. Right. And there's no question in my mind that Daisy Ridley is a phenomenal actor. Right. More importantly, it gives us one of the most important female role models. Right. For overcoming diversity. Some of the words that I've just used, the words overcoming diversity and role model, are ones that I do not convey lightly because I think they're way, used way too much. Right. But Rey inside The Force Awakens, inside the Star Wars franchise in general, is one that has so much potential that I cannot wait to see unfold. I, right? I absolutely like agree. I absolutely agree, and I'm glad that you have her on the list because she is absolutely worth one of the top four heroes. Yeah, yeah. Number three. At number three, I have a man whose dedication and allotment of every resource he owns, including a very iconic hamburger-shaped, quote, starship, mm-hmm. has led to the development of everything we know as Star Wars to mm-hmm. this day. Mm-hmm. And that is Lando Calrissian. Right. Lando Calrissian is not just a hero. Lando Calrissian is a guy that knows how to gamble and win. But more more importantly, he knows what it's like to gamble, lose, and then rebuild. Right. One of the very few things that I've ever looked up inside of the lore of Star Wars is whatever history is available on Lando Calrissian. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me really excited about what's coming up in regard to this the solo standalone Han Solo movie. I'm super excited to see what that's going to convey because if uh, unless I'm missing it, mm-hmm. he's going to be stuck way high up on my hero list right. even after that first even after the Han Solo standalone sure film. so Lando Calrissian is my number three hero a lot of backstory in the in writing in the books and writing mm. Lando Calrissian too I remember in one book I don't remember if Pat's read it where he's uh, well he, he wins he wins big and he's not just a low level smuggler pirate he had this mining colony mm-hmm. that he oversaw this mining operation and, and big business and you know, and the uh, administrator of Cloud City. So, I mean, he, he he was a substantially renowned person, and I don't know that they highlight that enough in the movies, but when you go back into some of the these writing pieces, you do see some of that, and yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I, I can't wait to see more on it. And, uh, again, the more we start accidentally <laughs> glancing onto what's coming from director Ron Howard in the right. mm-hmm. solo Han Solo movie. It should be great. I, I'm super stoked about it, and I can't wait to add that to our discussion and showcase here inside of Two Guys Talking Star Wars. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where we ask you guys, who did you have at your four and three for Heroes 4 and 3 inside of your top 10 heroes list inside of the Star Wars universe. Let us know what you think by going to our Facebook presence. You can get there by going to twoguystalkingstarwars.com, clicking on the Facebook icon. Start a new thread there and tell us who your four and three heroes are inside your top 10 list. Discovering Golden Greatness. Yeah, the scene where we are, I don't even know what their village is called, but the Ewok Ewok village and the trees and emergence of C-3PO, I think this kind of highlights him and builds <laughs> that characterization because they've taken it yeah. to a new angle, a and it's an entertaining yeah. angle. Not only is it entertaining, it is also the, you know, it's the secret dream of every interpreter to not only have being be recognized for your skill set, mm-hmm. but to be vaunted as a god. Right, right. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> so I have, I am absolutely endeared to this. And for those that are curious, um, Chris made the the skeleton with which we are we are running through this film. And I'm so happy that you accidentally glanced on this one because it makes it so much easier to say you came up with it than I did. Right, <laughs> right. But it's true that this yep. this scene is a. It, not only is it fun, 
Uh, it allows you to jump outside the uh, potential inducement of wanting to hate the little the teddy little bears. piggy teddy bears. <laughs> right. And it gives you something something else completely to focus on, which is their adoration for our gold endearing interpreter hero Absolutely. c-3po uh, which is just fun seeing him inside of that the chariot like a like an egyptian right. god is just it's the stuff of legend the only way it can get more legendary is when it starts to float thanks to luke skywalker right, right. absolutely that whole scene is wonderful uh harrison ford strikes in with some super engaging humor right yeah right trying to blow the torch out <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's all just it's, great it's great and yeah. and then they round that out with the serious talk, mm-hmm. where they continue that pacing and continue to feed that loop where Luke and Leia talk. And I got to tell you, when they go into, it just doesn't start out where he just blurt, hey, you're my sister. It goes into, do you remember your mother? Yeah. And that it, that just hits home. Yeah. Because even, even now, too, and seeing the first three movies, you know, how does that play out? It's just more tidbits because at this point in time, there was no mother right. mm-hmm. ever mentioned. Nobody knew. You know, we knew now that Darth Vader was the father. We knew that they were brother and sister. No mention of the mother. So all kinds of crazy theories going on in my mind at 15 of, oh, my gosh, well, was the mother a Force user? Was she yeah. Was she a Jedi? Who was she? Was she powerful? Could she be on the good side where Vader's on the bad side? And opens up a, a myriad of different pathways that we can go down and it was a great scene that they inserted this especially on the heels of the you know ewok we're going to roast you and eat you scene <laughs> right the, so. the haha funny funny scene that comes out right you know real serious scene yeah yeah and, and uh, again being able to dance that very strange fence line of is this serious is it not too serious is this way over the top comedic yeah. was one of the gifts of this movie that I think the the first three films they 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 stumbled they they tripped over that fence yeah. rather yeah. than being able to ride it's the just fence touched line. It, right. right touched on it and right and closing this out so they closed the loop with him revealing that their sister and brother and but they continue to feed the loop of there's good in him and I can turn him back mm mm-hmm. mhm and they continue to make you wonder how that's going to play out. So, I, I, closing out this scene, I thought it was great. My goodness, we're already at hero number two. Chris? We are. Hero number two. What have you got for the your number two for the top ten heroes of the Star Wars universe? What have you got? Number two. Number two for me is Princess Leia Organa. Mm. Let's face I'm going to interrupt you and ask you a question. Yes. If the actress portraying her was not dead, would she be this high? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Fair the, enough. The attributes that, and the characterization that they put into this character, mm-hmm. from beginning to end, this character was dedicated to a cause mm-hmm. and dedicated to whatever she had to go through, death, torture, whatever it was, to help other people. Yeah. And fearless. I think what we're going to find inside of this next film, The Last Jedi, is that unfortunately her last portrayal is Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm absolutely hoping for is writing gold. Absolutely, right. It's not every day you can say we are going to wrap up a story, not because the actor wants to leave or wasn't paid enough money, but that unfortunately we they passed to. way too right. soon. Right. Every time we look at it inside of Cinemadome, 
something great has happened with just about everything where death is involved. Mm -hmm. And that's not a, I don't think that that's a a harbinger of any kind for this film, but it is a strange factoid of what happens inside of Hollywood. Right. And so I anticipate that in addition to there just being incredible quality inside of this film, the, the leaning towards having to write out a character for the last time. Right. Is also going to have impact on that too. That that's a that that's a great choice, and that will pay great tribute to her. I totally agree to that. What do you got, Mike? Number two. My number two is a character that I don't know what we would do without. Not because they deliver so much great advice, not because half the time you can't actually understand what he says, but because of what really does matter for a hero, and that's. Their deeds. Right. It's all eras Chewbacca. Good choice. There Th- are. Maybe we're going to go with Jar Jar. Just, just for a second <laughs> no. there. You had me worried. That's going to be. No. Yeah, because that's probably, that's probably your number <laughs> no. two, right? <laughs> no, uh, Chewbacca is the silent hero. I think if everybody, if everybody could take off what their number one hero is slash glue for every story inside of Star Wars, mm-hmm. you would all, when you weren't on microphone, you would say Chewbacca. Sure. And the reason is very simple. He, he is the glue. He is the rubber cement. I agree. To every single character and their interaction from day one of shot one. Right. Literally of Star Wars. So number two is all eras Chewbacca. Yeah. And tell me if I'm wrong, Pat, a little bit of background and lore on him. He connected with Han Solo over this, I guess Han Solo saved his life, right, and he uh, and as a as a Wookiee tradition, yeah. he owed him this life debt, right? And that's why he was so loyal. Yeah. Is that that's, accurate? That's exactly. I think that's what the lore has, and I think he actually at one point actually fulfilled the debt, but still stuck around. Yeah, because became they became such great friends. Yeah. Well, so. and I love that, and that, that unfortunately is something that you guys know as written lore that is right. sadly not spilled on other people. So I'm so happy that our show. Is going to be able to do that for people. What what a lot of you will find too, and uh, I am the unabashed guy that does not like to read books. So I'm 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 providing this conveyance <clears throat> via the discussion between Pat and Chris, not not me at all. Mm-hmm. But for those of you that need and or want more lore, I have to implore you to go read the many books, oh, yeah. absolutely, that are made available that take all of these characters that are canon. Right. Uh, samples, by the way, they are. When we use the word canon, what we're referring to is that they are gospel. They are mm-hmm. real life, as per Star Wars law universe stories mm-hmm. that you can go and read right now to get more fleshings out of just about every character. And there's a mistaken. there's a ton of them too. If you mm-hmm. go over to, um, we'll link this up. Uh, Yoda's datapad.com mm-hmm. has a chronological timeline that will put. I believe everything in that, that from yeah. the, the old Republic and then right. it'll insert the movies and then it'll insert the books mm-hmm. and it will give you a good perspective on this, how big this universe, the star Wars universe yeah. is. And the tiny little piece that Pat shared here about Chewbacca's background is just an incredibly small sample of mm-hmm. what awaits. Absolutely. Being able to flesh in all of these characters that maybe you only knew their name ever is a golden gift that you can get right now right. by going and buying and reading any of the books. Right. Absolutely. What do you got, Pat? Number two. So my number two is actually a two-sum because you can't have one without the other. So <laughs> awesome. I'm going to go with R2-D2 and C-3PO. I, that's As, very well right. said. These are the only two characters, if you go back through every movie, 
that make an appearance in every movie. Yeah, right. good and, picks. And, and, and like I said, you know, these two are inseparable. They're you know, once they they met, they were throughout the whole movies, and they play a pivotal role, even though they're droids. And like you said, one of them doesn't even talk for the whole entire series, but he's still. Uh, I mean, anytime they need a the trash compactor shut down, they have to have R two. You know, anything, interface, yeah, right? Anything yeah. there, or they need somebody to speak to somebody. They need C three PO. So I think these two guys are such big main characters that you know you can't split them up. They're they're a duo. I agree. I, I love that. That's a great addition, Pat. Father and son. I tell you what, this this is the meat of this movie right here. It, this, it's this the meat of a franchise, scene, this, in my this, opinion. This next scene, and this is what I was waiting. What is it? Six years for the final meeting of Luke and Vader, and it's not a fight. Right. It's a discussion. This was what I was anticipating. This is what I had waited on, and. I love how it starts out. It starts out with some small talk. I see you've constructed a new lightsaber. I like how they highlight that. Mm-hmm. That's, and actually, that seems like small talk, but it's not. As we're going to get into, in just a little bit, talk about these lightsabers. The lightsaber, and Pat can help me out with this, is a significant portion of that rite of passage right. when they construct that as a Jedi Knight. In fact, switching back over to the uh, old republic video game you can go through that lore and as you come through one of the first phases that's what you do when, when you finally evolve you go up and there's this cutscene where you put that lightsaber together and all the lore about the crystals and the, you know some of the some of the stuff that we see back in rogue one the crystals and such right. it just all blends together and it's really really fascinating I love it when they can take building blocks like that throughout a franchise this large and, and convey it as a piece of storytelling. Because it could be really easy to just kind of accidentally lump all this literal story shit into a pile and just go, and now you decipher it all. Mm-hmm. But when it's actually used and has function, mm-hmm. that's when it really does become something solely on its own that, right. especially during the LucasArts years inside mm-hmm. of the video games, that's yep. really, really did build on. Yep, absolutely. And continuing with this scene, when we talk about the dialogue, I think that it was it was really significant, really deep. It was a back and forth when they really get into it, but it wasn't an argument or debate. It was a negotiation. And we have our hostage negotiator, I'm sorry, crisis negotiator right. with us who can maybe break some of this down. You know, we look at some of this dialogue. I can feel the conflict within you. It's too late for me, son. And you notice that the words that they choose aren't, they're not aggressive. Right. They're not gotchas. It's, yeah. it's, right. it's what it is. They're, they're it's, not toxic. It's, it's, right. a, it's a father and son yeah. talking. But he's still, and I was he's still trying to, to this. He's trying to ping at him to see. He's trying to figure out, you know, is there still good? And you can just look the questions he's asking him. You know, is there still good in him? And those are the questions he's trying. He's hoping well, to get an answer back right. to get some kind of reassurance that, yeah, maybe maybe there's still a little bit of good luck. Well, and I believe so. I mean, just by the way that they, they, they carefully chose those words, it's right. too late for me, son. That's a softened version of Vader that we've never seen. Right. But, well, it is. And it's it's one that's even, I think even responding to the questions is something that we would have never anticipated. Right. If right. he could go back to the, 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 the first day that we see that we see Vader inside of Rogue One and go, guess what? Inside of this series, we're going to see a casual conversation between his son and him where they talk about some of the most foundational things that nobody could ever ask Darth Vader. Who else could ask Darth Vader, hey, man, you know, you feel like there's any good in you at all? Right. Could he turn? You know, does he care about his son? Those are the questions that were going through my mind. But apply those in Rogue One. 
completely different answer. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that's what why I love being able to see not only for those of you that are curious, there are physical differences when you see Darth Vader, so that it's not the same costume inside of every single film. It's right. not. Right. There are physical differences. So between, you know, you would think, okay, it's, he's not going to change much. It's a dude in a black suit with a helmet on. He's got a cape and a lightsaber, and he's mechanical and evil. Got it. Okay, that's not what happens. And that's why we haven't done that top ten list. Maybe that's a future top ten mm-hmm. list. But, like, the greatest characters of all Star Wars time? Sure. Yeah. I'm telling you, having Darth Vader on top of that heap sure. yeah. is a Absolutely real difficult. Eligible. Yeah. That's a real difficult one to topple. And this is why, because even though he is in charge of what will be even more death and destruction via this next Death Star, he can have a casual conversation like this with his kid. Right. Well, the, the other thing that I find, and I don't know how they do this or how they did this, you know, this conversation goes on, and Mark Hamill does a great job yeah. you know, with his facial expressions and such. My father is truly dead. It, it, great. And, and that's what I like. You look at the face. But the opposite of that, and I don't know how they pulled this off, is how do you have how do you depict emotion from a guy you can't see his face? Right, yeah. you can't see his face. But I'm telling you, when I when I saw this, it was his body film, language. You could just he, tell when he says that he, he they they slump his shoulders and they kind of have him stand there for a minute and maybe even tilt his head a little bit yeah. to make him look regretful. That's impossible to do yeah. with a for a guy in a costume. Right. Yeah. So I mean. The what? the fact that they took the time to put those details in to make him look regretful, I, I mean it. I just, I just can't say enough about it. Yeah, it's also why I love doing a program like this with a couple of cops because you guys pick up on stuff oh, like yeah. that. The fun nature of podcasting across twelve years that I've been doing it now is being able to accidentally glance upon people with completely different skill sets than anything I have mm-hmm. or will have, but then also being able to accidentally slip in bits and pieces that spill onto me into my own existing skill set. It's almost like the Borg from Star Trek, except mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not interested in there being no future for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, but it's so much fun because you recognize things like this inside of that dumb Star Wars movie about the kid with light sticks. Right, right. And that's what we're looking at here. And this, the, the, I'm, again, I'm so glad that you nabbed this scene inside of your skeleton because it is incredibly impactful. Absolutely. To every single character in an incredibly short scene. This is not right. a long scene. No, we, no. We, We've been yeah, talking right. probably five or eight times longer than the scene actually is it's a very quick scene and but it's so impactful and has so much detail but more importantly it has impact to the rest of the series and and pat can follow up on that pat you know how much more is said with body language oh yeah body language if you think about it even you know just body language alone i think you get more probably 70 percent of conversations as you read in somebody's body language you know Do, do you have the ability to turn that off I don't. Not I, really. I don't think I can. No. Yeah. I think I, I look at no. it. I, that's what I focus on is the body language, and then even beyond that, you go to like the tone of the voice. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it, when there's yeah. those two are talking, we talked about they weren't having an argument. Their tone was just like a normal conversation. I, so I, I mean, you I know. can't. I can't do it when I. You know. I mean, I'm so geared to when I walk in a room and I, I, I'm. I look at somebody and it's it's an it's it's just a second nature and instinct yeah. where. What they say to me is one thing, but how they act, I'm totally reading right. exactly how they act or how the, you know what body language they're giving off. Yeah. And I even do it subconsciously yeah. when I'm watching a film for entertainment. But the fact that they can 
portray body language via a character where you can't see his body. Right. You can't see his face is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, the last thing I think I would throw into there is as an interpreter for sign language, I do and have always had the ability to shut it off, i.e. there's a, there's an interpreter mode, and then there's just a, a me as a dude using sign language mode. There, those are two different things, and you can, you can act independently doing both. But it took a long time for me to feel comfortable doing one or the other, especially when I'm in proximity of people that I've already worked with. Because mm-hmm. the, the deaf and hard of hearing community, especially in our city here in St. Louis area, is a very incestuous one. In that mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody. And if you guys think the power of the internet is strong, the power of the deaf grapevine mm-hmm. is yeah. one of the most powerful forces of nature in our little universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to straddle that and use the skill sets to use the interpreter force has always been something I, I knew I needed to be able to turn off and on when I needed it. And it's always benefited me to be able to do that. That's where we ask you guys, what did you guys think about this scene? We've we've talked about a lot of different aspects here. And I'd like to know what you thought of this scene. Let us know what you think by going to our Facebook page. That's over at facebook.com forward slash two guys talking Star Wars. You can go over to facebook.com and inside the search bar up top, type in Star Wars and eventually you'll find us there. The Weapon of the Jedi. I think it's time for us to finally talk about different colored lightsaber blades and yeah. the significance. First, I want to send it over to Pat to give us the background that he has. Well, most of it comes from the video games, I think, and some of the books. Because are the video games where all the color, why, that's why what, anybody that, cares, started? I think well, that's when I start, started yeah. first. No, the old Republic yep, game, I think, I is agree. when I started it. You had and where is that in the timeline of lore? Like, what, what, what year old, is Old Republic? Old, old. It's nineties, th- thousands of oh, years. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about you're talking about the our timeline like as our far time. as release. <laughs> yeah. No, Old Republic is uh, more of a modern video game. It's yeah, it a uh, it's an Xbox. MMO. Yeah. Oh, so I'm talking about the original, the very yeah. original game. So he's talking about Knights of the Old Republic. That was a uh, RPG, right. That you played, and it was a great storyline. All that, that was the one where <clears> I but, first got the crystals. Right. Though. But that evolved. And did that have colored lightsabers, or did everybody have yeah, the same color lightsabers? Yeah, it did. You yeah, get the crystals, and you can make different colors. Right, them. but did they have different properties when you mix them? Then no, yeah. that was yeah. But the it really came into play with the the old Republic. So there was Knights of the Old Republic. Those those were really the heavy stories, games, yeah. RPGs, good games, and then from that. About, I don't know, five to, five to eight yeah, years ago. Yeah, so that ago. one, yeah, you're talking was five years ago. The yeah, other one's probably at least 12, if not more. Oh, yeah. 12, 15 years ago. Okay, so back so, into the discussion then. And so let's go back Let's go back to that. So, Pat, back year, uh, 10, 12 years ago, they had this video game, the two video games, and right. they were excellent storylines called The Knights of the, the Old, Old Republic, Republic. Right. And they were an excellent RPG. And tell us a little bit about the lightsabers that they had back in those games. So it, it, the different, I guess they were, I don't think they were called Kybar crystals that we know now, but the different crystals you could get to make your lightsaber a different color. And it mm-hmm. could actually mean different things. Like you had the green, which I believe was the counselor, I think they called it. Mm-hmm. And then you had the blues, which were protectors. And they had some other ones. The reason I think the red was always for Sith, because they always said that the Sith, for some reason, it was all Jedi-based. They couldn't actually get the good... Kybar crystals. crystals, so they had to get red, which would make their blades basically a reddish color. And it was mm-hmm. like, if you see Kylo Ren's, his is really funky because it's got the whole energy coming out the sides because they don't have access to these crystals. Is that how they explain how the Sith always had these red blades? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. I don't, I don't, 
this is when, and I know it's, I know mostly it's probably my hatred of games that have these incredible skill trees. When I say the word skill trees, do you guys right. know what I'm talking Absolutely, about? Absolutely, yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, <clears throat> and the reason I hate skill trees is because I remember vividly back in my day when I was playing Battlefield 2. Mm-hmm. I love playing that game and I love playing as a medic because I would just go and help people right. and shoot people occasionally and help people and shoot right. people occasionally. Right. And it was fun and I, I got incredibly good at being just a regular dude that went and played and did those things and then left. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, 99% of the time I was killed by a seven-year-old that had scaled up the technology slash skill set trees right. of whatever game and I would last about 30 seconds and then I would be dead. Right. And that's no fun. There's right. the, the, the whole fun factor gets out of that. This smells very much like that, where if you were to add this into a game... Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me get this straight. You're searching for the purple-violet number six crystal. Right. So that the mixing of this crystal and the one you already yeah. have inside of your lightsaber will allow you to cut my mother's meatloaf. Well, the difference, and though... I hate that. The difference, though, is you know, you're talking about a game where it's player versus player. As opposed to we're talking about a game that's, uh, I guess, player versus environment or right, whatever, yeah. and it's an RPG. Yeah, it's more so it started out an RPG. They did evolve it into a uh, an MMO, a multi multiplayer, multiplayer universe, universe right? and mm-hmm. when called the Old Republic. Okay. And when you go and you play the Old Republic, there's a there's a great Star Wars Lucas Arts storyline that you know you don't have to go and do player versus player and so forth. The color of the blades do adhere to what class you play. So, you know, there's two, I guess, two avenues that you can take if you want to be a Jedi. You can be a Jedi Knight, which is in the heavy armor, and the certain colors uh, affiliate with the certain attributes that are going to build up your class. If you're the Jedi Knight, you you want the strength, you know, strength and so forth. That may adhere to the blue color crystal, which may enhance strength. Right. And thus, all the <clears throat> Jedi Knights may have a blue or some type of blue version of the blade, Whereas maybe the Jedi Counselor that wears the lighter armor but relies on more force powers, I have Did a you guys have anybody crystal. inside of your little sect of players that had all blue except, of course, for the lightsaber? Be just because they wanted to have a red one? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 And 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 that it just wouldn't it wouldn't boost up that attribute that you needed. But yes. Okay. You could. Yeah. You could change the color because you just didn't yeah, you think just, that it looked right. as yeah. cool. Right. And you could get a variety of different lightsabers. You get the double bladed lightsaber. You could. You know, you get the uh, you could dual wield two lightsabers, two lightsabers, right. one in each hand. So I mean, mm-hmm. you, so you could have a blue one and a red one and a, whatever you wanted. But the point being from from all this is that there were certain characteristics to the lightsaber, and Based that there was color. more significance. Yeah, there was more significance. What we're going to do is we're going to link up to uh, a couple pictures of the different hilts of the lightsabers because it's something that uh, that is a signature of that character, and I'm glad that Star Wars did that. Mm-hmm. It's probably something that's not exactly highlighted enough, but the color of the blade, I think, uh, in this movie signifies Luke Skywalker's development from where he was in the first movie and the second movie, and now to the third movie, this more mature person. He's developed this uh, lightsaber. It's the rite of passage, and he's finally arrived as this Jedi right. knight. Yeah. Assaulting the shield generator and the assembly of the rebel fleet. This is another place where they have multiple things, multiple scenes right. or plots going on at the same time. And tandem they, storytelling. They do, right. yeah, tandem storytelling, and they do an excellent job at keeping them separate and keeping, bouncing back and forth and keeping your attention diverted until they need to bring it together because the plot 
and loop closes with the two scenes connecting. The fast-paced assault highs and lows of the shield generator, the comic relief of Harrison Ford, and the scene with Leia, and they're captured, and you know things look grim, and then she's got the she's got the uh, blaster in close proximity where she shoots the guy behind him. Right. All of that, they continue to do that great pacing through multiple multiple scenes, both on the ground and in space. Yeah. I think it's incredibly valuable. I think what I take most from the, the assault on the shield generator is not just that epic ground battle of Ewoks and stormtroopers and mm-hmm. whatever the hell else that's going on inside that scene, but the conclusion of it and how they get inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I love all of that mostly because whenever I think of, you know, what, what is the most exciting part of the Starship Enterprise? And your answer is what, Chris? The bridge. Okay. Right. And yep. Pat, the bridge. The bridge. Yep. Okay. Well, my, my favorite part of, I think, every in, incarnation of the Enterprise is the engine room inside of engineering. And I, I can't really explain why, except that there's always an undulating power inside of it. It is the most important and powerful part of the starship, mm-hmm. in particular when they have to set it on self-destruct and blow it up, because it is a cataclysmic disaster when it has to happen. Mm-hmm. So that, that's one of the reasons. But what I also note is that not many storylines show you things like the engine room and the shield generator inside the shield generator is what I would equate to an engine room. Right. I.e., mm-hmm. it's something almost nobody sees or would think of when you think about what needs to happen here, mm-hmm. because it's so impregnable, and we would never even think that something like that would happen. Right. The failure of imagination points inside of just about every story are the ones that are probably the most endearing. Just off the top of my head, the ones that we've talked about in the last week are probably, let's see, Apollo One. Mm-hmm. Failure of imagination. Astronauts will never die while they're standing on Earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they will. They'll die just like they will anywhere else. Right. 9-11. We can talk about conspiracy theories all day long, but that's not the point. The point is that the catalyst of 9-11 is failure of imagination. We may have known that they might use planes to fly into the buildings, but we would have never thought, hey, man, they're going to take planes full of people and right. fly them into buildings. Right. Failure of imagination. And so... That's what happens here, too. That failure of imagination. There's no way the rebel forces, as small as they are, as few people and how stupid they are, are ever going to get to the shield generator and take it down. Right. Yeah, they are. Right. And being able to take us there and see that firsthand is one of the most important parts of what happens here at this juncture in the story. Right. The other piece I love here is the, the assembly of the rebel fleet is one of the singular epic moments inside of the entire trilogy, I think. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Having a rally point of any kind inside of any story is an instant adrenaline moment. Right. And the John Williams score that helps foster this scene, mm-hmm. what happens at the onset, during, and then towards the end where they actually blow up the Death Star again right. inside of this scene, it, it's epic storytelling and it absolutely has you by the seat of your pants. It's well, great. And it's it's the evolution of the rebellion too. When they, you know, when from the time the first movie came out, and the depiction of what they had in resources, Not a lot. they've grown. Right. You know, and you get a good look at uh, that, hey, you know what? They're a force that may win this thing. And, and can win. And right. can't, right, right. Absolutely. So I think that it was a good overview, especially culminating near the end of the third movie that we're looking for loop closures and different things to culminate. 
they do well. They do well here. Subtly, another closure of the loop. Here we are. Here's the Rebel fleet, and this is going to be the final battle. Finally seeing the Emperor's face. Asterisk. And And as I've said before, we've got to go back. The first three movies, or I guess chronologically the first three movies, were not out. Right. So you didn't get to see Palpatine. Right. You didn't get to see... You know what he turned what into. he turned into, how he turned. You didn't get to see any of that throughout this trilogy. The Emperor was just this mysterious thing, and you get glimpses of him, but this is the first time you really get to see his face. And let's face it, he's a monster. Right. He's horrific. He's yeah. evil. You he, can just he, yeah, see the red evil eyes. on him. You know, he, yeah. he, he, he is he is the the living incarnation of a nightmare. Right. right. And there he is in a black robe, sitting in front of you. Uh, again, I think um, we, we've talked about this a couple of times, one in Prelude today, but then in our previous reviews, we also talked about the scenes in which I love inside of, in particular, this movie, but yeah. all Star Wars. Yeah, this yeah. set was great. Oh, it, it, it is epic. Yeah, it, the, every the time I see it. room is probably one of the coolest sets you could you could find. Yeah, and yep. I, I, I think we I only saw a scant look at it here inside of the DVD portrayal, or I'm sorry, inside of the Blu-ray portrayal when we were looking through some video stuffs for reference at the beginning of this review, but I can't wait to get my hands onto some Blu-ray stuffs because... Oh, yeah. yeah, you need to see it. It's it, great. It looks absolutely exquisite. It is. It's great. And on top of the, the great visuals and such, and I, you know, when I first saw this and first got a good look at The Emperor... Back then, I would have told you. My guess was he wasn't human, you know. I and, and until the other three movies came out, I didn't know. Well, and you know because what? I th- because he's, so he's many, not human. He's, he's not so from many, Earth. So many aliens. He is alien. He's not from you know, Earth. They. Uh, well, okay. All right, Mister. <laughs> not humanoid. I'll split some hairs here. <laughs> he doesn't have any hair. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it just they had him so deformed and such mm-hmm. that uh, I didn't know that. You know, he started out like he did until you're, they went into the background. But right. I think there was you're, you're value. Gonna, there was value in that. Oh yeah, you're going to hate this. But once again, I lean towards the value of what was some of the prequels because, believe it or not, you get to see exactly how, how he became the emperor. Oh, became I the emperor. Right. And I yeah. think that's actually was one of the that. better parts of the three yeah. other movies was yeah. actually yeah. the development of the emperor. Yeah. In and, fact, that that might happen. when we eventually get to those films. I don't know when we're going to get to them, but when we do get to them. Going through and making little check boxes on things that they absolutely achieved. Right. Well, this being one of them, yeah. and should absolutely be in that. And let's go back to me and Pat can uh, comment on this. It it is an interesting story when you look at Palpatine, his uh, official Sith name Darth Sidious. Right. You go back and read the book that Pat and I did called Darth Plagueis, Plagueis. yes, which was Darth Plagueis was his master. And there was always this rule of two where they had a master and an apprentice. And usually the apprentice kills the master and then takes over. And go back and read Darth Plagueis if you want a background. And what's interesting is this book takes you all the way up into, I can't remember which of the first three movies, but it takes you all the way up into one of the three movies where Palpatine is the senator. Right. And he has gone through, you know, this that takes you from his childhood and from his young age where he gets discovered by this Darth Plagueis and the training and all the things he goes through and how he evolves into the Sith. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just incredibly interesting and incredibly deep as far as his background goes. And just to follow up with that, Mike, the end of this scene or the way that they round out this scene is this, this back-and-forth cat-and-mouse game whose plan is going to pan out. And what they did is, that I appreciate it, is they made the Emperor smart. 
Right. He he is a strategist. And not only does he have these force visions and he can see into the future and things like that, but I start appreciating how he planned out this total destruction of the rebellion and led them into this huge trap that I never saw coming. Mm-hmm. So he's at the same time destroying the entire rebellion and turning Luke toward this toward the dark side with his anger and hatred and and you see how he how manipulative he is and uh, that you know going back to the first movies they really did flush that out with the actor that portrayed Palpatine and how manipulative he was right. I think they did a really good job in those movies at developing that mm-hmm. but in this movie they continue that they continue to to show that you know he's not just this you know brute force you know unintelligent dictator he has some depth to him yeah and he has a a strategist attributes and a evil dictator leader sense to him so i'm glad that they put that in i I am too i I, something else i didn't even realize until just now and i mean again we're talking 40 years plus here off of the original film i didn't realize that inside of the two hours and 16 minutes that this film comprises we see the fall of two incredibly detailed and deep villains. Right. Oh, sure. That, that's why That's Absolutely. why we have to look, and I love that all, th- all three of us are devotees of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. because when we look at some of the villains that are, quote, constructed for those films, they are pale by right. comparison. I mean, they don't oh, last yeah. very long. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Jabba, we only saw for, what, 25 total minutes? Right. right. And even just 25 total minutes, he doesn't speak a word of English. Right. He's instantly more diabolical, yeah. uh, a thicker presence personality-wise, but right. more importantly, he's evil. Right. right. And we get that out of that film, I, one that I always love to pick on because I was expecting so many great things from it because it was so small. Right. Ha-ha, nudge, nudge with the elbow is Ant-Man. Right. Ant-Man mm-hmm. is an excellent, excellent movie. It stars an excellent, excellent feature film star. Yeah. It stars an excellent story. Right. It stars excellent tethers into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It has one of the most bullshit villains of right. all time yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it absolutely hobbles that movie. That that movie had so much potential greatness. And the leech into the history... Uh, what, what Ant-Man did for me, guys, is... Ant-Man was able to fill the void that has now been stolen away by removing Agent Carter from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so that's what I was looking for specifically, was that tether somehow back to Howard Stark that would allow us to run forward. And we got that. We got all of that. That was tremendous. What wasn't so tremendous was the stupid, dumbass villain that's inside of that movie. Anyway, uh, that's why I really appreciate what we've got here inside of the Emperor that was built... Throughout the first, quote, three films, but really showcased you over the course of these three films. Right. Hallmark scenes from Star Wars. Yeah, this is where you know that we have to have an epic space battle mm-hmm. and an epic lightsaber fight right. if it's a Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this film does not disappoint. We go into this space battle and they throw curves in it. Uh, I mean, it, it starts out. It's 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 bigger than anything that we've seen. Um, they're they're fighting back and forth, and they throw this curve to you. 
of the Death Star, which is like half constructed, right. being operational, yeah. and it just wipes out an entire you know whatever it was Big battleship, ship, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Right. The uh, and, on the, top and the, of, the stark on top awareness, of, hold on, the stark awareness from the uh, the rebel agents of every kind, right. whether it's somebody that's in charge of flying the starship or the guy that's pushing buttons to fly the starship, right. they're all absolutely horrified by the right. fact that wait right. a minute, this right. where, where did that ray come from? Because right. it looks like it just came from that right. not functional Death Star. Right. And, but before that, I guess I was getting ahead of, a little ahead of myself. We got to go back to Pat's comment, which was this is a trap, and right. at the last minute, they realize. They realize and yeah. the the smuggler that they put in charge as a general, and I know you guys, one of you guys had him as your top two or what? Three. Two or three mm-hmm. comes through and saves the entire rebel fleet right. from smashing How can we into. We can't get a reading on this unless, generator. and he goes, unless, and all of a sudden it hits them. They knew we were coming. And had he not been a pirate and smuggler and had that intuition, they'd right. all have been dead. Yeah. And so, you get the classic tagline from the old Admiral Akbar: "It's a trap." Yeah. You know, it's probably been used how many times in movies, in, in and a variety of things. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Mike Wilkerson in high school probably right. a lot. It's a trap. <laughs> so, don't go to that class. It's a trap. But, um, but <laughs> scan, yeah, but scantron cla- test the classic, classic <laughs> it's battle, a trap. the classic battle, and the classic yeah. curve. You know, what are they going to throw? At? Well, how are they going to top the last one? And it's that. Half-built Death Stars operational. It right. just took out, and it can it can take out one it's, shot, can take out an entire. Right. Ship. And oh, by the way, yeah. the whole entire Imperial fleet is just in the horizon too. So if you don't have to deal <laughs> right. with that, there's right. all these other. I wonder guys why they're for you. I wonder why they're waiting. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing too is uh, sucking not only the air out of the room in which after you hear the you hear the Emperor go this perfectly 100% operational battle station. Right. Not only does the air get sucked out of the room that he and Luke and Darth Vader are in, it sucks the life out of every single ounce in the theater. Everybody oh, just yeah. goes, <gasps> it, it, right. absolutely right. horrifying. Right. right. It, it's such good storytelling, and it also falls squarely into the category of something the three of us have talked about across all of these films so far. You could have never seen that coming. No. Right, no. So please stop telling me that you think you could right, have. No, not yeah. a half-built battle There's station. No way. There's no way. That no, thing's no not way. firing that, on and that was, cylinders. Yeah. That was setting that up. I mean, and they set that up early on, you know, where it was, hey, they're constructing it, and they they made sure that they purposefully visualized it as, you know, in pieces. Brilliant. Right? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Terrific stuff. A final duel. Yeah, this is... Uh, this is another signature of Star Wars. You have to have a great lightsaber battle. And, you know, let's go back to the first movie where we highlighted, hey, the lightsaber battle between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan wasn't right. that good. Not it wasn't that good. dramatic. I mean, yeah. it was still uh, a great, pivotal uh, moment because it was the first lightsaber battle we'd seen. But they had really stepped it up in this movie. And... Uh, the cat and mouse game, you know, like I said, the one thing that I'm asking is how powerful is the main hero? How powerful is the main villain? And we see that now. Are they equally matched? Because they weren't in the first, second film. Right. But where are we at now? And they don't disappoint. They give you a good depiction at where each of them are at, and it comes out as this battle continues. The, uh, the other thing, I think, that needs to be highlighted, too, is the emotion that they played on because of family. You know, it's father versus son, and where does son lose it when they bring the sister? Right, and they figure, and we'll just turn that's her. That's one of the triggers. 
and I like that they highlight this because it's that emphasis on priority of family. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And part of me, when you watch this, you wonder now, is Luke really this powerful or is Vader starting to question his buy into the empire now? You know? Yeah. Is he one, is he kind of not fully into the battle? So maybe is that why you know it's more evenly matched? It just kind of let, lets you wonder on that one for a little while. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on the first portion of that. I think he's totally sold, and not only is he sold, he's trying to find the chinks inside of Luke's armor. Yeah, and that's what leads to one of my favorite scenes inside of this uh, uh, segments inside of this particular scene, which is they've just had the first round of the epic battle, and Luke disappears, mm-hmm. and he is now away and hiding he's right, he's right, not out right. in can't the open find him. yeah can't find him and so darth vader needs to find a way to goad him out chris refers to the scene where he starts referring to his twin sister right, right. and that's awesome but what i love is and go back and watch this because i can't wait to watch it inside the blu-ray presentation mm-hmm. yet is go back and watch that scene and watch I'm, I'm playing it back in my mind right now go back and watch the expression on Mark Hamill's face mm-hmm. as Luke Skywalker in this scene, because what you can see is that there is fear. Right. And I, again, that you guys are cops is the perfect piece of a mm-hmm. puzzle to review this. Right. You guys know that in epic, epic, everything's going sideways. One of the most healthy elements you need to have is a sense of fear. Right. right. Yeah. Because without it, you can't have a counterbalance to what's going on. Well, and when you get that fear, that overwhelming fear like you're talking about, then you get a dangerous person. You get a person who has lost it, who is going to fight very hard and is going to be very dangerous to the point where they've lost it. Right. And that's exactly what you see. Right, right. And and I love that. This, th- this entire scene, regardless of where it is that we choose to pick on, it shows the complete metamorphosis of Luke Skywalker as a character. Right. Everything from the composed standing toe-to-toe with the Emperor, I will not fight him, Right. to it's coming off the rails. You've got, right. you've got all of that everywhere in here. Right, and, that, and the ultimate test, and I think that goes all the way back to you know the scene in the cave, the ultimate test, like you highlighted, Mike, is you're at the point where you've lost it. Can you gain control again and not go down that path? And the way that they depict this in this scene is is just perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Force lightning and a little thing called force judgment. You know, force lightning, uh, me and Pat are going to go back to some of the video games and such. Force lightning is a signature of the Sith. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you, as you progress through the games, when you get high enough up, it's like this great power, power. that's bestowed upon you to to do this force lightning jedi can't do it because it's affiliated with the evil side the dark side so the emperor having this force lightning ability where nobody else does not even darth vader has it is this the separation of how elite he is of what rank he is and how powerful and how powerful he is it's also one of the things that i think everybody especially as a child especially as a boy child you wish you could have Sure. Oh, hey, yeah. how's it going? I see you're defying what I want to have happen right. again. Take, take, take a lightning bolt here for yeah. you. Yeah. It, it's always something that, that uh, I, I think everybody has thought of. And a, a phrase that I had not heard until this last week, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Really? Now, 40 plus years 
Oh, more than 40, yeah. It's mm-hmm. more than 40 because it was May when it came out. Mm-hmm. More than 40 years after the original uh, Star Wars came out is something mm-hmm. called Force Judgment. Do you guys know what this is? I've not, I've not, not heard, heard of that. that. No, me either. Okay, so a Jedi sufficiently strong in the Force can be trained to reproduce a facsimile, but not true Sith lightning. It is called Force, Force Judgment. judgment. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. And... I only heard that this last week, and I heard it inside of a video that I will link up that is located over at something called Star Wars Theory on YouTube. Mm -hmm. What I love about Star Wars Theory is not so much that it's a pantheon of quality. What it is, though, is it's a pantheon of quality storytelling. Right. Because what he does is he essentially runs through the gamut of what if, insert whatever the hell you want to ask or do. Mm Mm-hmm. The one I clicked on to get what he then referred to as Force Judgment was, uh, what if Order 66 didn't succeed? And mm-hmm. that's the video that I'm going to link up to hmm. so that you guys can watch all of that. It's yeah. mm-hmm. it's singularly epic and something you should definitely take a part in. Uh, that entire series, really, you'll, you'll get a, a really great series of uh, satisfaction out of them, mostly because he uses questions that you supply that he will then try and write a particular piece of storyline to. And I think many of the storylines that he comes up with are incredibly endearing. Hmm. Uh, when I think back to Marvel comic books, I know one of my favorite things to go back to are the what if. The what ifs. Those are the greatest Man. comics ever. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whether it's something stupid like, yeah. you know, what if, what if uh, the Hulk couldn't get angry? Right, yeah. Uh, all the way up to, you know, what if... Um, Wolverine killed the Hulk. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so epic, and there's a, a... We'll link off to the complete listing of right. the library of the What If comics, but mm-hmm. those are also epic. This What this guy is essentially making is the What If universe of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Of Star Wars yeah. And it is very, very well put yeah. together. Closing this out, too, it does segregate the difference between the Jedi and the Sith when they talk about the attributes of the Jedi and the attributes of the, of the Sith, mm-hmm. we see you know, Luke Skywalker able to control himself, not give in to those emotions, and we, you know, as we've seen the opposite side say, draw on those emotions right. and that will give you strength. And there is actually two codes that they each go by, the uh, Jedi code and the Sith code. Is that, proper, is that the way that they're, what they are, yeah. they're properly... Uh, uh, yeah, both and, books. And actually, <laughs> actually, I do. There's the, a there's a manual. It's manuals. The, yeah, yeah. That. So it's I don't I don't I don't know about the books, but the, actually the codes and the codes were a big part of the video so games the that they had Jedi too. Code. And the, the Jedi code is this: there is no emotion, there is peace, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, there is no passion, there is serenity, there is no chaos, there is harmony, there is no death, there is the Force, and that's the actual Jedi code. And it adheres to all of the lore that they've had in the movie and all of the wisdom of Yoda and the teachings and so forth. Pat is going to read the Sith Code, yes. which a lot of people don't know unless you've played the games right, and, and such. Right, and it's almost the exact opposite. And it's almost the exact opposite, and it tells you where they derive so their strength. the Sith Code is, peace is a lie, there is only passion. Through passion I gain strength, through strength I gain power, through power I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. The force shall free me. It's just interesting, and it's and that's the that's the two sides. So I think it highlights it in the end of this in the end of this scene. I I like how Star Wars puts a definitive delineation between good and evil. I think what I love about all of it, including what Pat just read, is I I am absolutely allured to both things that you read. Right. 
And isn't right. that the it, funny? They don't, yeah. they, right. They, there isn't something that says, man, I love me some Hitler. They, they have, no. They have, <laughs> none none they, of it ever starts what like they, that. They have this distinct delineation between the two, but if you read both of those, you can see where certain personalities would be attracted to one and certain personalities would be attracted to another. So it kind of explains how people go down that path. And kind of the value of those first movies, they tried to adhere to that. Where you see where they say, well, you know, these emotions lead to the wrong path or the dark side or whatever. And they tried to walk that path with Anakin Skywalker right. early on as a kid and, and all these things. And they, I thought they did a good job at building that emotion to show how they went down that wrong path. Those are the two codes, and, um, and I, think it's, I think it's telling. Throwing the Emperor over the ledge. Yeah, the, this is it. This is the end of the Emperor. This is another huge loop closed. I remember when I was in the theater watching this. I, I don't remember much, but I do remember in the theater watching this. When that happened, I believe people applauded. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, as he's going down that huge chasm, you know, right. endless chasm and the lightning's coming up and Vader threw him over, I believe that the people in the audience in that theater applauded and... Uh, and it was like a uh, wow, we're we're at the end of this epic right. trilogy, and a huge loop just closed. Thank you, thank you for that closure. Interesting, interesting. I, uh, I, I think when I think of this scene, there's a, there's a couple of things. One, the the dichotomy of being 13 when this film came open, especially with the year that I was having that year, which was a, a very rough one. Self-reflection is one of the things that I think is showcased here. If you could take the moment that Luke severs Darth Vader's hand mm-hmm. as he's whacking on the on the on the lightsaber, the lightsaber right. falls out and he ends up whacking his hand off. Mm-hmm. And the self-reflection moment that Luke has when that happens, regret, right? Where oh, see, I don't even think it's regret. I think, I think hey, it's this, shame. This could be me. Mm-hmm. This is me. It's absolutely because he was, shame. right because he was losing it. Right and. That's when he finally has the, I think, the best squaring off moment with the Emperor. And that I, I will not take yeah. Oh, yeah. the de- my father's place at your side. The right. defiant and, but I, I, I think there was guilt and regret and shame. And yeah, absolutely. I love that scene here. The Fast forward a little bit as we're, Luke is getting force lightninged. The swelling soundtrack of John Williams throughout this is this incredibly haunting Sure. Never want right. to hear this sound when yeah. it's not inside this movie piece of soundtrack. Right. And what we have seen is a kind of a departure with some augments that have happened inside the Blu-ray that we'll talk about later. Right. But what does happen here is it, it is an electric scene, quite literally and figuratively. Right. right. And that it is instant decision point for Anakin Skywalker. Right. Not for Darth Vader. No. It's, it's an instant decision point for Anakin Skywalker. Right. Is he going to let him kill his son or what's he going to do? Yeah. Right. And being able to be in the stands watching live as it happens is exactly what happens here. Right. And it's fun to see that. Yep. It really is. I agree. My goodness, we're at the top of our top 10 heroes in the Star Wars universe list. I think I need for Chris to go first. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to go traditional, very no surprise and my number one hero and this is coming from my opinion as a uh let's see what was i nine nine to 15 years old so the nine-year-old yep and the greatest hero of all time number one 
has got to be Luke Skywalker. He okay. was uh, he started out as the the farm boy. I know Mike could relate to that. You know, young man. You know, living with aunt and uncle. You know difficulties with mom and dad and mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. but seeing him develop into this hero who well, literally saves everyone so, yeah i mean you know and it's cliche but i've got to go with him as my top number one hero i think that that's a great top well, pat who have you got on top of the heap of your incredibly well, detailed and inventive like i did list. for my number two i'm also doing another, another duo and the greatest hero of all time number one in my opinion one's not without the other mm-hmm. han solo and chewbacca Okay. You put okay. those two together, that's the best hero in the in the, in the franchise, I think. Wow. You know, they were there for the first Death Star. You know, basically, if they wouldn't have shot Vader's ship out of the sky, there's no Luke Skywalker shooting down the Death Star. Yeah. You know, and then just seeing Han Solo develop as a character from, you know, this kind of crummy smuggler guy who's just in it for the money to actually turn it into a real hero, you know. Yeah. And same with Chewbacca. You, you don't ever hear a word from him, which he's another guy that we don't hear any words, but he's mm-hmm. he's just always there and yeah. always, you know, in the, in the muck yeah. of things, you know. Yeah. He also, I don't think we granted this to him, but he falls squarely into what Chris appreciated about that scene with Vader and that how many things do you think the guy that plays Chewbacca could possibly show inside of this incredibly long-haired costume? Right. right. And the answer is about a million different feelings. Yeah, that's absolutely. Right. right. Paid off completely, still doing it to this day, and um, just a giant nod to him because right. of the people inside of Enduring Hell, I would put C-3PO Anthony Daniels inside of that because what the right. hell? Right. Guy yeah. can't gain an ounce for more than a 10-year t- yeah. period of time. He right. must be thin. Right. Um, but the guy that plays Chewbacca, man, I, it doesn't get any more gauntlet than being in that outfit yeah. forever. Right. That, that's that's a great number one. I, I've actually got an honorable mention and then a number one. My honorable mention goes to, I will go to my grave knowing that this actor and this portrayal was totally cheated out of an Oscar mm-hmm. in 1980 mm-hmm. for the depiction of the Empire Strikes Back Yoda. Mm-hmm. There are few television programs, including Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that we talked about at the beginning of the program, mm-hmm. that absolutely draws directly from the influences of that character. Mm-hmm. Frank Oz's depiction of Yoda every single time he appeared, even in the El Crapo, finally changed into not-so-El Crapo scenes inside the prequels, mm-hmm. is all totally award-winning activity. Sure. More importantly, how do you... And this is where it was very difficult for me to put Yoda somewhere off of the top of the list is in regard to heroism. So anyway, the, he is my honorable mention for the top list. My number one top hero inside of the Star Wars universe, however, is a gentleman that we met last year inside really? of the Star Wars universe. Okay. He is a man that, without which, almost all of what we see would be nothing. Mm-hmm. And the greatest hero of all time, number one. His name is Galen Erso. Okay. okay. Galen Erso, without putting in the wooden shoes. Yeah, the, the right, the, the <clears throat> fail-safe right. back door right. that allowed the destruction right. without of the Death Star. Ha- without having that, we would not only not have any of the stories that we have in regard to Star Wars, mm-hmm. we would have countless hundreds of millions of people dead. Right. Because the Empire would have gone on a mass killing spree with their weapon. Right. And so my total tip of the hat to Galen Erso, my top hero of the Star Wars universe. That's where we ask you guys, who is on top of your Star Wars universe in regard to being a hero? Let us know what you think by going to our website. That's twoguystalking.com forward slash twoguystalkingstarwars.com. 
Click anywhere on the right-hand side, fill out the quick web form, and tell us, what do you think? The real face of Darth Vader. This was the this was one of the closing moments that I didn't expect. No, but I, don't I think totally right. appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> totally appreciate it because it's a question that everyone had right. on what's their look, mind. What's he look like from the first time that we saw him? Mm-hmm. And I appreciated the fact that they uh, they put this in there. I think that it was uh, it was crafted in there not only to let you know what he looked like underneath, but also to do that full conversion from evil to I've seen the light and I am a person. And I, I, I completely appreciated that. Yeah. This is an epic scene mostly because it is the question. We, we can go back even to Rogue One. Right. And if you didn't know who Darth Vader was, the question would always be, who is that man? Right, and you know, there's tons of controversy over this too, because you know the original actor who played Darth Vader, David Prowess, didn't get to be the guy that got unmasked. Yeah, so that yeah. was a huge smack in his face. There's a documentary on that where mm-hmm. they actually refilmed this part, and he got to play Darth Vader and got the unmasking that he didn't get in the original movies, which kind of weird, but you know, hey, you know, and we, we we talked about the what if. I guess you guys talked about the what if. What was it? Comics. Mm-hmm. This would be my what if. What if Luke got him on that shuttle and he lived? What if? I mean, that's one of the things that I thought about as right. a kid. And then we were actually How talking does before. That play out? Was the original script actually has Luke donning Vader's mask and becoming the new Darth Vader? So could you imagine that twist in the movie? That yeah. would have been. I mean, just think about how that would have ended. I mean, that would have been crazy and well and I, I, the only problem though is that when luke gets off the shuttle and appears inside of the rebel alliance ship and they all shoot him to death right yeah i don't know so <laughs> that'd have to be some conveyance that luke is he, now or does Vader. he just just go off and find the, the remnants of the, the empire and you know now he's the one that's leading the uh the first order you but know? lucas said that he just couldn't do that to his hero and i right. I, I gotta agree with him right that would have destroyed I think the direction and the well-paced trilogy. Oh, and the other piece that you and I—I—I I, I have to be honest. I didn't—I didn't take as—I didn't take into account that there would be a turn, i.e., that he becomes evil slash right. dark eyes. Right. Luke Skywalker. I didn't—I didn't think of that. Is that what you're thinking? I don't know. Okay, because what? We'll, we'll wait till uh, we see uh, the next movie. Imagine <laughs> if now Darth Vader has good intentions right, and because is trying it, to make amends. Exactly. For, yeah. Because the Emperor is gone. Yeah. And what we eventually find out is that Luke Skywalker has just done the Vader costume. Yeah. Right. So there's even another. There's another what if. Right. right. What if? What if he tries to take what is left of the Empire's resources, even right. after destroying the right. or the second Death Star, and then tries to turn it around because he's donning Darth Vader's mask and nobody knows? Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right. Incredibly powerful scene. What What else can be said about it? I mean, it's it's amazing. Destroying the Death Star again. Yeah, the remnant of the Death Star, although fully operational. Fully operational. operational right. So. So. Um, you know, and the way that they have the Emperor say that, I mean, I've got to give them kudos. Right. That's great. Yeah, It's great it's, stuff. It's of chilling. course it I mean, is. So, um, it but, falls squarely into the same category of, you are you are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Right. Take right, it away. Right. So once more, <laughs> we have, awesome. once more we have the end of the Death Star, and uh, it's, uh, it's a fitting closure, or at least the setup 
to the fitting closure yeah. of the end of this movie. Yeah. Right? You know, maybe something that people expect. You know, it, it, Star Wars has these signature things, and I think this is one of the signature closures. The enhanced version on the Blu-ray 2011 adds this Huge ring explosion. starburst. Right. And i got to say, this is one of the goods. It really looks a lot more dramatic, and go watch it on Blu-ray. Yeah. It's, it's cool. When I think, unless I'm mistaken, I think also the the DVD versions I have also have that. Do they? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So that's um, okay. but it is an enhancement. It didn't originally have that right. yet. Right. Yeah, yeah. The end of evil. The scene that we have is we have Luke standing before the armor and mask of Darth Vader. He's laid out on this uh, this table like this funeral pyre. This funeral pyre yeah. that you have in the with the ancient Vikings. Uh, Vikings and it's totally symbolic symbolic of the fall of a great warrior of a tribute to a family member but also symbolic of the end and closure and we talked about closing loops the ultimate closing of the loop of evil and symbolic that Anakin Skywalker became this this symbol of evil now the symbol of evil is gone He's burning it, and Anakin Skywalker is back. And that's what we see in the next scene. But I love that they put this scene in here, and I love all the symbolism. You know, Luke standing before it, him lighting the fire, and the flames coming up around it. Just a, a great visual and a lot of depth to it. Right. Uh, I am squarely appreciative because, unfortunately, earlier this year I lost my mom in May. Mm-hmm. And... Explaining the death of a grandmother that was as prolific to my daughter as my mom was to Jade mm-hmm. is incredibly difficult. However, Star Wars was able to make it a whole lot easier to deal with mm-hmm. because when I have to explain cremation, mm-hmm. I don't have to explain a whole lot. Right. I just say, okay, well, you remember Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. And suddenly a light bulb appears. Right. And so... The incorporation of pop culture into one's life is a series of lessons. Right. Whether or not you choose to incorporate and then thank pop culture for being able to help you have those impactful lessons or not is up to the user without question. But I will tell you that those of you that are not relying on pop culture, especially if you happen to have a teenager the age that I do or however mm-hmm. old your kids are, doesn't matter. The fact is that being able to lean on that makes lessons of, by the way, your grandma is dead. Right. Incredibly easier. Right. And so I, you know, I thank Star Wars because I don't know how I would have explained that otherwise. Well, ab- absolutely. And uh, a tribute to your mother in this podcast and a nod to all of our writers. Yeah. For, you know yeah, what? Great stuff. At times, right, helping yeah. us through life. Yep. Totally, totally. And I think that's where we ask you guys, what did you find that was good inside of this film? We've talked about so much, but, you know, there's just there's not nearly enough waking hours to talk about every single good thing that we could find inside this movie. Uh, go over to our website over at twoguystalkingstarwars.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you found that was good that we missed inside this review of Return of the Jedi. We are running incredibly long here during our perspective review of Return of the Jedi. We will return. The history of hostage and crisis negotiation is filled with action, danger, emotion, and perspective. 
Be sure to learn more about the history of hostage and crisis negotiation, Inside Crisis Cops, the evolution of hostage negotiations in America. Order it now at twoguystalking.com slash crisis cops. That's twoguystalking.com slash crisis cops. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug www.podcastbug.com The one question each podcaster should be asking themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? Mike Wilkerson from the Two Guys Talking Podcast here. I've podcasted and edited for over a decade, and I know what an hour and a half podcast turns into when you get in front of the editing stack. Let me tell you, it's not an hour and a half. It's closer to probably double that time. Are you ready to hand off the time you're wasting editing your own podcast? Looking for a cost-effective solution that doesn't break the bank, that gives you super experienced, quality podcasting back to you in a short period of time? Be sure to check out The Editor Core. Whether you're looking to have your podcast edited, or if you edit podcasts and are looking for some extra cash, Editor Core is your way to help every podcast soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. It doesn't always come fast, but it's always free. Join Officer Tommy Model and learn more about vital building blocks when it comes to security and law enforcement during the Free Field Training Podcast freefieldtrainingpodcast.com that's freefieldtrainingpodcast.com wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever it can with perpetual advertising here's how it works magazine radio and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once and then they're lost forever perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Star Wars Perspective Review of Return of the Jedi, 1983, directed by Richard Marchand. Every movie's got the goods, but they've also got the bad. It's inevitable. It's just like the Force, where there's always going to be good parts of the Force. There's also bad parts of the Force. Agreed. And inside of this film, we find ourselves enveloped by several Some things. bad. Sure. From the bad. Detracting elements inside Jabba's palace. Yeah, I was, you know, I was getting a little nervous when... 
Pat Doring was uh, about to announce <laughs> his number one pick, right. and he said it was uh, two characters. It was Duel. So what I had envisioned as his number one hero pick was going to be that singer that had the right. two eye stalks. Yeah, and I figured that no. those would be the two characters, each one of her eyes, <laughs> right. I guess, that were protruding as his number one hero. Luckily, he didn't go there. We salvaged that. Some of the scenes inside the palace Oof, were just rough, nauseating. I think they tried to overdo it, and I think that they did. Tell me if I'm wrong. Did they not alter this and even enhance it with more oh, yeah. weird characters? Yeah. And I think they added and a song music and, and yeah. dancing. They, they, they added a complete new song. Yeah, they yeah. added the visuals, which were. Don't get me wrong. Was nothing wrong with what we saw, like the quality of the special effect visuals. But with the singing added, and the the singing, the hokey. What where I where I really went over the over the edges where they added another singing character and add a song. Right. And I'm just like that. That's not what this was. This was not an opportunity to have Broadway. Right. The, the, this was supposed to be a, a dank, dark, auxiliary hive of scum and villainy. Right. Yeah. And the only thing I felt after watching these two people, two characters sing, was dirty. Yeah. It and was, that's not what it's supposed well, to be. Well, and it was, and and the other silly, hokey little things like they added the thing with Boba Fett. Yeah, you know, hitting on the dancer yeah, with the, you know, and yeah. it was just it was just hokey. And the, the Harry one that was singing does sing better than Pat Doring, but you know, only just it, just, yeah, a little, just a little, just a little bit. I think I could probably only, build it out, but you know, maybe he could. Bit. I don't know. <laughs> well, only just anyway. I, th- those are the things that could disappear. Yeah, and I nub a song. Yeah, I got yeah. It. I wish and yearn for it. It'll eventually come. There, there will eventually be a day where there will be options you can choose to be able to view during this Which, next session. Right, yeah. It'll come. It's probably not going to be while the three of us are alive, but it'll come one day, and those people watching will be able to select what they do and don't want to watch. Right. The other thing in this uh, in this whole realm was the uh, the droid torture chamber. I thought that was kind of hokey too. Yeah, the poor you know, guy getting it, his feet burned. Yeah, I mean, I'm not real sure how I that affects know. a droid. But I mean, it, the thing about it is, is if you're gonna if you're gonna try to depict this as some crime lord, do it up different. You know, even the the Gamorian guards were okay, but it's not like the Emperor's guards. I mean, when they they, they had to depict them as elite, mysterious, right. they did a good job with that. I wanted to see a little bit more from. He's supposed to be this huge crime lord. I would have liked to seen a little bit more, a little less hokey, and a little less like you know the Muppet Show, and it, that's kind of just the feeling that I got. Oh, did they have the two guys up in the the uh, balcony? Hey, hey, don't <laughs> knock those guys. Those guys are my heroes. <laughs> they could have been there. We might have missed it. Maybe yeah, that'll be they, the next. They could have been the next edition. Yeah. Yeah. the hecklers. Yeah. <laughs> the hecklers from the Muppet Show. Awesome. Oh man, if I got memories of those guys too, man, they were great. They were terrific. The, the gist is that there were you know some. Crimes of cinema, fantasticism inside of inside of Jabba's palace for sure. Yeah. A smelly arm pit. Yeah, the the Sarlacc pit. The and let, let's let's clarify. 1983's version was great, but they decided they had to make it better. Right, and they didn't. No. Yeah. They inserted this big hokey 
space slug with a big tongue that sounded like a pig. Right. You know what it looked like? You know, it looked like it looked like the Venus flytrap from A Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, yeah, it kind of yeah. did. Right. And had it been that, I'd, obviously I don't want it to speak like Seymour spoke. Right. But I wanted something different. If they're going to special just effectsify it. Alone. it yeah. Right. But there if you're was... going to special effectsify it, well then special effectsify it. Right. I think that's what I that that's the trouble that I have with all of these things is if is it really an augment, or is it supposed to be something completely different? In right. this case, I think they were going for something almost solely completely different. Yeah, well, then go work. for a completely different, and it didn't work. No, not no. at all. Absolutely. No. Finn to Fett. Yeah, you know, Boba Fett was supposed to be a premier character, right. a, a character yeah. of, of strength, you know, a, a bad guy and right. and this elite bounty hunter and they they depict him kind of like just this bumbling right. fool. Yeah. You know, he is taken out quite easily. Yeah. And I just he don't think he hits a button on his jetpack and it goes out of control. I mean, you know, I, I was just I was looking for more. You know, an an epic shootout, you know, a uh, him and Han solo you know, at high noon in the middle of town, something like that. Having something like this is what makes me think, like, there's no way that there were going to be future movies. Mm-hmm. Because would have, would George Lucas have written off Boba Fett like this if right. he'd have known? Right. And, you know, if, well, if, I don't know. If, 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 hold on. Phantom if, Menace. <laughs> right. But if the options are that in The Force Awakens, Boba Fett appears. Right. Well, I don't, that doesn't seem like a too hard a choice for me. Yeah. But why have the character if you're not going to do anything of real substance with him? I mean, it was kind of going good where, you know, he was the one that uh, uh, went off, you know, collected the bounty and right. all that kind he of stuff. He was just a mystery. But it, it's, it, from the beginning of this movie, the way that they depicted him, he just wasn't depicted well through this whole movie. No. Well, for the short time he was there. For the short time he was in it, right. right. Uh, I think that's probably the problem is that he had been written off so early. Right. The, the, and they the, could have done more with him. The fantastic nature of Boba Fett is that I have to think that most of his popularity was achieved by the sales of the action figure. Yeah, right. Which fire, was cool. The firing <laughs> missile. <laughs> right. I, I don't know why those why that bridge wasn't attached across the yeah. cavern because right. he should not have been if he's gonna be killed, sure, okay. But not killed accidentally by jetpack misfire. Right. I don't I don't think that. Right. Boba Fett is the kind of character that there would have been some sort of contingency plan for if my packing right. nights errantly and not just accidentally flops into the digestion for a thousand years. Right, right. Ewok haters. Yeah, and I can include my dog among this group. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and Pat Doring. Uh, and right. Pat Doring. I do not like the teddy bears. But, you know, it. we tried to be diplomatic and point out some good things. There were some real hokey things about the Ewoks. You know, when they tried to do the comic relief and the one guy hits himself in the head with the, the rock the and bolo. the sling right. and yeah. the bolo, right. I mean, you know, and, and we had seen we had watched a video earlier where they had pointed out basic primitive beings defeat, you know, these high-tech Imperial walkers and things like that. And they're right. You know, I mean, the the battle, it detracted from the battle where they were throwing stones on top of the stormtroopers' heads and it was knocking them out or right. killing them or whatever it yeah. was doing. It just detracted, in my opinion. What do you guys think? I wanted them to be something different. Right. I, I don't want any of my hero warriors to be cuddly teddy bears. In fact, I, I don't even call them teddy bears because I, I don't put teddy bears in the class that could eventually be some sort of hero. I, just it, yeah. it, it, it plays against type. 
I, I will give him that. But other than that, it doesn't do anything for me. I think the saving grace here was that we were given the scene where they get captured by the Ewoks. Yeah. I either clever yeah, and they're right. able to trap them. Okay, yeah. I'll give them that. They could have fit into the plot, right. but just not in the role that they had. There was definitely, there are definitely ways it could have been fixed. Being able to list those right this second, I can't give them to you. Right. I just know that there right. had to be a different way. And the scary thing is, is there was two spinoff movies of Ewoks, so. I have no Swallow idea what you're talking one. about, Senator. Swallow that one if you would. <laughs> And Pat has both watched. Of them. Pat watches both of them Negative. every Christmas. No. <laughs> Kissing one sister. Pat, right? You right. go, but we go back to the uh, Back to the Future, <laughs> where we have the uh, scene. Marty McFly is in the car with his mother, who's putting the moves on her, and she she goes and she kisses him, and she looks at him in kind of disgust and says, "Why does it feel like I'm kissing my brother?" Right. And, right. you know, that's, she didn't know all along. No, she I mean, makes I, out with them. Come on. That wasn't, she yeah, but. If that's making out, I don't know how you got kids. That's creepy. But here's, creepy to me. but here's, here's the thing. She says that and the light goes on in her head and she's like, oh yeah. I, I still think it's creepy. I, it is, but I don't know that it's that bad. What, what I really want to cover. Wait, cover, this was 20 years ago. So I kissed from 20 years ago is making out or am I missing a piece? <laughs> yeah. The way she planned that one on her. Okay, look. Let me back. Let me there. let me back you up here. Actually, the scene there was a bigger <laughs> scene to that. Let me back you. Up. Let me cut. back you up to Pat. <laughs> Wait a hey, minute. Hold Pat. on. What scene are you talking about? The bigger scene that got cut. So when they when he this was, where you show me some porn movie no, no, no. and go, hey, look, it's Luke and Leia. So he was uh, sitting in the tree. So he's sitting in the uh, thing. And he's actually got the, a, the a med- mask on. Yeah. Because they're they're trying to make it like he's hurt worse. Yeah. Than he is. So she like leans over and they're like real close, and then R two D two comes in and like interrupts it again. So there was like two scenes where they actually yeah, one she where she didn't. makes out one. Just the, 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 her, the her saying the words. I I think I've always known. That's an endearment thing. Well, that's yeah, not a yeah. man. I really it's loved it when I had my tongue down your throat. Here's the thing. It was the kiss. So to Pat, it's making out. You got to go back to Pat's dating habits and how he talked about too much Star Wars. And he couldn't Three date back Never then. kissed one of them. So if <laughs> so, if you got a kiss, that was. And you were the farm boy, right? Exactly. <laughs> I'll take no for a thousand dollars. Yeah, the 2011 altered version. So we can't ding the movie for this because the original version said so much more and right. did so much more by not saying anything. Right. The altered version of 2011 inserted this dialogue where it kind of blurs out Luke screaming for help for his father to Darth Vader screaming no and then grabbing the Emperor and throwing him over the side. You know, there are times, Mike Wilkerson, when no words depict something a lot better than dialogue. Right. And this is one of those scenes. I was uh, more moved by Luke crying out for his father, the you know, the force lightning, him about to die, and the depiction of Darth Vader not doing, not saying anything, but taking action. Because... Without him saying anything, you could see from body language, even through that suit, once again, that he's thinking about it. He's at the point where he's got to make a decision. And, and then he, he does, finally lurches he forward and grabs he, him. He right. lurches yeah. forward and he steps up and you can tell he's a leader. Yeah. Right. He makes that leadership decision, the right decision, tosses him over. And that was classic. And I think it got ruined in the 2011 version. And I won't ding the movie for this because the original didn't have it it got ruined when they added that dialogue 
I, I think we're in complete agreement right. across the board. On I, I would just like to know who was sitting around and decided to come up with that part of it. I mean, well, I just... I'll go you one better. Who greenlit it and then put exactly. it back on the yeah. film? Yeah. Because if it was me, I'd go, I'm sorry, what did you need me to do? Right. Hold on, i got to go wash my hair. Right. Because I wouldn't do it. The value of what is created by these is way more than any one person making a decision thinks can happen here. Right. And this was a bad decision. I, th- I-, I try and think of all of the things that have been changed across these three films. And I didn't, I didn't actually know about this one until today. Yeah. Right. And I think I might call this one of the most heinous. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that perhaps this was trying to reach back across to create some more connective tissue between this and the third film, where you the other you know the other film yeah, the, where you no. hear Darth Vader say no, yeah, I don't know. that everybody hates also. Right. See, I don't. That makes no sense to me. Yeah. Being able to have splash damage of another film of a piece of another film that everybody hates and put it on one that is almost across the board adored. Yeah. Man, I don't get that. Especially after removing a yubnub. Right. If you're going to remove yubnub because right. of quality problems, why in the hell would you take the word no right. and put it onto this film? Yeah. I don't get that. I yeah. don't get that at all. Where do dead Jedi go? Well, it depends on what version of the film that you watch. Exactly. So we have, you know, the the original depicted at the end, the ghost, the three ghost forms of the Jedi, Yoda, uh, Ben Kenobi, and Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, we got a good look at Anakin Skywalker. Not all burnt and everything. Mm-hmm. Didn't look but very as, well for his age. But so as, as, an older, as an older Jedi. And what you wanted depicted was Luke's father. And that's what I wanted. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I liked the way that they did that. But when they went back and they redid the film... Once again, I'm not going to ding the film for this because the original was great. But they went, when they redid the film, they inserted young Anakin Skywalker, which I don't know why they did that. What? Why? Why did they have that uh, I depiction? It, now I think Mike might have had a theory on that, but I just think that it detracted from the from the value of the film. I, I, I think it's because they they aged him too much in the first one, and they going back they realized, well, this guy can't be this old. Because, I mean, in, in the film, he looks like he's, what, in his 60s, maybe? Well, this, but, he had, but he had to be. I, I, I kind of look at it this way. <clears throat> what we don't have to try and strike why all of this was done, one, we're not in the in the head of the writer or right. such writers. We're not there. The, the second thing we don't have is we don't have a straight line of what actually happens and what gives you the keys to be a Jedi ghost. Right. We don't, definitively. Right. And I think where we – I know where I – discovered that was in our very first discussion of the Rogue One review where we started talking about we got into the concept of Jedis but then we started talking even more in depth about creating a list of villains for the next review inside of Star Wars Mm -hmm. and as we started compiling that what we didn't do but we talked about just real quickly was like like what are the keys to get into Jedi ghost heaven right, right. I think is what we would actually called it right. and what we don't have definitively is okay you are a Jedi in whatever period doesn't make any difference where it is you are a Jedi and let's say you know your death is coming we're going to use Ben Kenobi as a sample because he was the first one quote unquote so you know your death is coming you accept your succumbance during that moment before death yeah, you slash you disappear make right. the preparation right. something happens your body disappears and now you are transported to force the force ghost yeah. heaven airport mm-hmm. and now you will appear appropriately when those that care about you need guidance mm-hmm. now 
I've just created that out of thin air with a little bit of guidance from you two. Mm-hmm. But what we still don't have is that this is how this happens. Right. And the reason we can say this is not how this happens is because Anakin Skywalker. Let me get this straight. So your entire arc of how you appear as a Force ghost is you are born by Whoever. special awesome conception with right. your mom, whatever. Right. You have a reasonably turbulent childhood where nobody really cares for you, but you're super smart. The Jedi find you, try to raise you. They take you through your growing years and puberty. And at the end of puberty, you are struck down by a dude that is your best friend and mentor in a volcano. Right. Mm -hmm. That and the factors of you being born in your life turn you into someone that now follows the dark side. During your dark side ascension, you murder children. Right. Fast forward another 30-some years, whatever right. our number's going to be, you are in charge of murdering probably zillions. Right. Yeah. You, on whim, murder the people that are working underneath you inside your workplace. Right. You follow the teachings and guidance of a mid-monster. You eventually realize the, the fool of your folly and are able to save your son by throwing the monster into a chasm. You are then burned in a funeral pyre after your death. All's good. And you appear as a force ghost. A bullshit. Well, <laughs> well, and the, well, here here's the other thing too and the other question because I always depicted it as this. When he burned the suit, it's not he, the suit, it's him though. But I think it's the suit. It's not the suit, it's him. But I don't. I don't see any proof of so, it. Well, he wasn't. In, so, he wasn't on, in the suit on. when he killed the younglings. The, the, all you see is the suit. Didn't he disappear like the rest? No, he didn't. In fact, we know he didn't. He slumps back and falls down onto the ground. He doesn't disappear. Oh, well, we don't know if he disappeared after. That. Now, I guess we can we can fast forward on your assumptions. <laughs> what you're telling me is that Luke then went and grabbed the lightsaber and cut the fleshy parts off and only took the suit no he disappeared like he he disappeared like yoda but but he didn't but he didn't there's no way they would have not taken the time to show you that i don't know see i'm not even using that mechanism i'm not using the mechanism we saw him disappear and so now he will become a force ghost what i'm really excited about having a discussion about is this i'm telling you anakin skywalker does not get to go to jedi ghost heaven because murdering kids Mm -hmm. right i agree yeah and not only we take the time to put him there the first time, but we took the time to put him there a second time mm-hmm. that didn't make much sense. Right. I have a huge problem with that. The other, the other giant question, and I love that this discussion came up while we were talking about it, is where in the hell are all the other Jedi? Sure. Right. Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon he uh, All of them. The, uh, the thousands that were yeah. murdered after Order 66, where right. are they? Right. Because they did they just not have enough time as a Jedi? And that's, that's why... That's when we start talking about what is the criteria to get into Jedi Heaven, and the answer is well, there really isn't any. Right. That's where it starts to get weird. So anyway, I've, I, that's the that's the discussion that I want to have after my giant oration with you guys. Right. Sure. That I I don't get it. I I want something that is as cool as quote Jedi Ghost Heaven to be something really cool because look, there's Ben Kenobi. Look, there's Yoda. Right. Two of our absolute heroes on the listings. But wait a second, there's Anakin Skywalker, child murderer. Right, and I vote no. We're not. We shouldn't. I don't. I don't think that we should be able to do that. Well, lucky for you, Mark Wilkerson, it is December fourteenth, and you know what happens on December fifteenth? The release of the Last Jedi, where I'm sure all of the answers to that and more will be awaiting you. 
I'm thinking not. <laughs> is, it, is that your bullshit segue out? What is that? Here, here's what I'll here's how, good. Here's how I'll play it. <laughs> I'll defer so to the editor. If, if we're just going Did to, you like it? If we're just going to the first three movies, you know, maybe he didn't kill children when he became the Force Ghost. I'm I'm going I'm falling on the fact that these the first three movies ruined Anakin Skywalker. That's not the Anakin Skywalker that they made in the Yeah, and I I, I totally agree with that. I am not sure that the vision of Anakin Skywalker was, that, was, was what those first that, three movies yeah. were. I don't think he was supposed to be that evil. Yeah, I granted he killed some people, and you know, the first movie force choked a few guys. But you know what? People have bad days, gotta, but they weren't he, good guys. Yeah, he's the he's the overlord of the Death Star. You guys are out of your tree. Oh, what come, are you talking about? Cut him a break. Yeah. <laughs> cut him a break. You know, you come blow on. up you blow up one planet and you get a label. <laughs> planet blower upper. Jesus. Yeah, you know, just because he tortured Princess Leia, too, you know, I mean, come on. If, if, am I live right now? I, I can't believe that you well, guys won't jump on board for this discussion. We've really? been going on. I mean, it's only 9.44. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for like four hours. All right, well, that's where I guess I'll ask the crowd since you guys have checked out. <laughs> Let us know what you think about the perceived concept of Jedi... Uh, Jedi Ghost Heaven, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And and the criteria with which you need to have to enter such venue yeah, by going over, I, over I, to our Facebook presence. I don't know, I don't know. Just that's, like you know, that, that's facebook.com forward slash Jedi Ghost Heaven or uh, slash Two Guys Talking Star Wars. Let us know what you think. <laughs> you guys are pusses. Come on, <laughs> how do you guys not engage in that? <clears throat> you want to you want to rewind and engage in that seriously? No, we're not. We're we, I, around. I, no, seriously, I do. Okay, I, right, back up. I, I, we'll give it another fifteen <laughs> minutes here. I don't understand how we can't draw the lines of. Okay, so he, he shouldn't be in, right? Okay, or am I missing it? No, no, no I, I agree, agree with he you. We're screwing with yeah. you. It's just that we saw blood in the water <laughs> right. and we went for it. <laughs> oh, okay, man. so all right, editor, back in. <laughs> so we're back in on the discussion of this uh, this ghost uh, ghost presence, the Jedi, and. One of the discussions we had was, where are all the other Jedi? Where'd they go? And what is the criteria that has that converts you? I can understand Obi-Wan Kenobi. He was well-versed in the Force. He, uh, well, he's a he righteous had, dude. He, had, he was Obi-Wan righteous. He had anything. some background. Yeah. And he knew what he was doing when he allowed him to hit him with that lightsaber. Right. And I contend that he never made contact with him with that lightsaber because all they had left was a cloak. Right. Right. An undamaged cloak because they didn't have the ability to do yeah. the special effects then. Right. Blah. Yoda, if I'm not wrong, disappeared too. Right. Right? Yes, he yes. faded and the blanket <laughs> fell. Fell. Right. Correct. Okay. With Vader or Anakin Skywalker, he dies and then he slumps back on the ramp of the shuttle. And I guess what I don't know is did he disappear right after that? We didn't see it, but from what? we saw probably not and that's what mike wilkerson is saying no wait i saw him die and he didn't disappear and i don't know i'm kind of in between maybe he did maybe he didn't but certainly the criteria if you line the three up doesn't aren't match. the same right i mean yoda good guy all wise tries to help people and so forth ben kenobi too even when we went back to ewan mcbrager and his depiction Absolutely. Right. Right. Reason righteous. Anakin's, I'm going to go to Righteousville. An- like, like Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. No. Absolutely no. not. A child murderer. Maybe the guy um, who man in the doors of Jedi Heaven that day. However, 
However, wasn't it really fell asleep and well, Anakin Skywalker slipped in. <laughs> however, however, hold on, hold on. There may be there may be a moral to the story too that Lucas is trying to insert here in that it's never too late to change. That there is redemption and forgiveness, and at the last minute he did make the right decision. So he could have even built upon that. The only thing that doesn't make sense is. And it's the question in my mind. Mike Wilkerson says, no, we'll get an opinion from Pat. I'm an I don't know. Was he in that suit when they burned it? Mike says, yes. Pat, what what say you? I, I have to think he was in the suit. I mean, okay. he, I saw him dragging him up the ramp. So if he would have disappeared, he would have disappeared beforehand. You guys have to remember, too, that you're saying the words, he's in the suit. He, he is the suit. If you remember, he's a torso with stumps right, and a right. head. Right, he, but he, he, there, his there body doesn't a, disappear, but, though. Like but his body two, doesn't disappear. Like Yoda and ben That we Kenobi. know of. My answer to that is, I don't know, they didn't show me enough of the scene. It doesn't appear that he did. So, But if, say, he did disappear, say his physical body disappeared, that last scene in the end, what I'm saying is, he could have lit the fire and that could have been just the suit, and you wouldn't have known it. So, I don't know. Was Lucas trying to depict, and it would be something interesting for somebody to research, was Lucas trying to depict that you can make mistakes in your life, you can be evil, you can be terrible, you can, but you can, in the end, you can still have forgiveness, redemption, and still make it. That's a pretty good message, but is that what he was really trying to depict? And, and that's something that I, we don't know. I wonder if that, I think what might work the best, and you guys might even have the book so we don't have to buy anything. Checking the novelization of Return of the Jedi will probably yield the result that we want. Could yeah. My, my guess is that there will be a reference to Luke quickly collected up his father's remains and right. boarded the former Lord shuttle. Right. He hurtled back towards the Endor moon as our heroes breached the blah, 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 and blew up the Death Star. Right. After reaching the surface, Luke... Escorts his father's remains to a Viking-like funeral pyre, right. and he doesn't light it with a lightsaber or something, does he? he no, just, he just uh, a torch. Just torch, yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, my guess is that somewhere inside of the novelization of what we're talking about there, they clearly depict if it was his right. body or if it was just the, the remains of the suit or something. Yeah, and I agree. And that would be uh, something that we're going to assign Pat Doring to go back oh, and deal. read. Yeah. Good job. Awesome. All in favor? Aye. I second that. Right. Get right on that one. Anyway, yay for engagement. <laughs> Thank you for jerking me around. It's so much fun. <laughs> Every once in a while, we got to mess with you. It's fun. <laughs> Consider me messed with. That's awesome. The Franchise This is an epic franchise that we have now looked at four films of the many films that there are and what can be said is that this is a juggernaut Just when you thought that this film was closing a loop that we thought would be the closure of a three movie series spanning a seven year period of time inside of everyone's lives in which everybody on planet Earth has seen these films the answer is it's not The answer is that many years later, there would be the development of what were already ideas that were apparently sketched out and characterized and want to be made films. And now that I've made enough money, I have the power 
and people and facilities to do it, said George Lucas. Right. And so he created the prequels. Right. And the question is, is before the prequels was, can we top these three movies? And the answer after the prequels is no. You know what? I, I have to wonder... I have to wonder if the prequels had to be developed as connective tissue elements rather than being able to top anything. You're right. Yeah. You're right because they they couldn't top. I, I think that that was a loser, a losing game. But I think that there was such a demand to do them that he had to do them. But now that we turn our focus to the new movies like uh, Rogue One, Rogue One uh, The Force Awakens, and now The Last Jedi, as of tomorrow, we are seeing that there is room to continue to at least compete oh yeah with the originals so it's there yeah and to take the foundational elements that were inside of the originals and bring them forward 40 years and still be completely viable right that that is the one thing that i i I really have to take my hat off to something like a the force awakens absolutely i was not struck with it when i originally saw it but now after upon multiple viewings Mm -hmm. there are many of the things that you find inside of that movie that really are excellent excellent so 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 i mean i've got to be appreciative because it's so so hard to make that particular movie mm-hmm. that's the first one the expectations the i would say somewhat failure of the prequels and for jj abrams to come in and do what he did that's a hard movie because in reality that's movie one mm-hmm. that is movie mm-hmm. one and that sets the new concept right and, now abrams is known for that you know what he did with uh, Star Trek. the Star Trek series yeah. to come in and redo it and start at ground zero was epic. Mm-hmm. So he's the guy that can do it, and he did. Mm-hmm. When people look at the Force Awakens and say, and say "Well, you know, it was it was good. It was very good. It was you know a lot better than prequels and such." I don't know. You know, I'm kind of so so on it. I disagree. That was a hard movie and a hard precedence to set, but what he's doing is he's he's laying a new foundation for something that's just going to be epic. Mm-hmm. We will see tomorrow. Yeah. The Last Jedi. Yeah, right. very exciting. That's where we ask you guys, what are you curious about when it comes to the franchise of Star Wars on the eve, literally, of The Last Jedi? Let us know what you think by going to our website. That's twoguystalkingstarwars.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side, fill out the quick web form, and tell us what you think. Ah, the rating. The rating when it comes to Star Wars are always a very interesting effort. However, the three of us will forage on to find a way to rate this movie, 1983's Return of the Jedi, directed by Richard Marquand. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. A throne room in which only one movie can sit on top. The one down at the bottom, a pile of dead Ewoks. Everything starts at a 7, the numbers go up with positives, the numbers go down with negatives, and Chris and Pat, there are no halvesies. Chris, what do you got? You know, i got to put aside, we talked about some bads, but when I rate a movie, if you have some bads, it's not going to get the top mark. It's just not. However, a movie like this is different. The bads that they had, to me, did not detract because the the good side of this movie was so good. The writing was so good. The closure was so good. And the, my appreciation for closing those loops in that writing was so good. So I'm, I'm still going to have to give this movie a 10. Okay. 
10 for Chris. And Pat, where are you on the scale? Well, I would almost go there, but I have to factor in the Ewok factor. Wow. So um, I am going to give it a 9. Hate okay. it. I did. No. Whatever. I, 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 I just don't think it, it was as good as the New Hope or Empire. Ewok I just I just wanted a little bit more from it. And it closed all the, the, the loopholes, <laughs> but, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I just didn't agree with. The Ewoks, I hated. Hated the Ewoks. They could have done something totally different. And, yeah, I, I didn't really like the ending too much either. I didn't like the whole, everything's kosher, everything's great, now Anakin Skywalker's all with us. Okay, I don't, I don't get that part. I, I just didn't get it. Other than that, I mean, you had your classic Star Wars stuff. You had, you know, it was fast-paced. You had the great space battles. You had the great lightsaber battles. And, you know, it closed all the loops, but it's still it's a, it's a high nine. Interesting. I, I love the chemistry set of two guys talking. I always have. And it's because of perspectives, which is why I think perspective reviews have a special place in my heart, regardless of what ilk we're focusing on. And this movie is no exception. Return of the Jedi offers us what was a definitive closure moment until such time as it became incredibly popular and needed more to be added to it. Let's mm-hmm. be plain. Right. right. And so I, I have to take the movie as it was to rate it as it was back then. Right. Having also considered the detracting elements that we've talked about inside of the bads here, I, I really do have to give this movie a five. I gotcha! No, you didn't. I knew you were lying. Oh, you? Yeah, I, I could tell okay. by your facial <laughs> expression. <laughs> All right. Let's profile uh, him right now. We just talked for four hours because I'm missing that one there. <laughs> <laughs> you paused way too long. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. No, I, I, uh, I will join Pat in giving this a nine, not because it's terrible and because I hate Ewoks like he does on his own because he has Ewok hatred problems. I know a good crisis negotiator you should talk to. Talk, talk oh, me down off the Ewok mind. ladder. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I give. I also give this movie a nine. It provides us with incredibly solid Star Wars taste. Uh, something else that we I failed to mention inside of our epic review here is that this, strangely enough, is the movie I put in when I need my Star Wars fix quickly. Really, all, any three of those I can put in and get a good taste of Star Wars really, really quickly. This is a spectacular movie. It provided so many closures to questions everybody had. Uh, and it gives us such an interesting picture to look at in regard to Star Wars lore. That's where we ask you guys, what did you think of 1983's Return of the Jedi? Let us know what you think by going over to our website, that's twoguystalkingstarwars.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and tell us, what would you rate 1983's Return of the Jedi? Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris Giuseppe, your other host. And I'm Pat Doring, still not an Ewok. That's good. Too. But still, but still, Ewok hater. He's close. That's right. He's about as tall as me. <laughs> close yeah. to it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Out of all the franchise, ten and nine, from ten and nine, the top, the ten and nine, bah, cut that. We'll cut out all the stuff that doesn't sound awesome. Right. <laughs> well, then we better cut everything. <laughs> Go ahead and edit everything yeah. and just what start are, now. What is all this silence inside the podcast? Yeah. Oh, that's where Chris was speaking. <laughs> you so, can, it, so, it's, it's like choose your own adventure. You get run, to make run, your own review. Let me run into it again. Shh.